That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Stephen Vaughn and Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. What's going on? It's July 6th, a lovely day in the state of Oregon statewide. I am Stephen Vaughn. Judah Newby with me as well. We are filling in for John Canzano today. A lot to talk about. A lot to talk about today. Victor Wimpenyama, he's in the news. Britney Spears. Same story. Wimpen Yam and Britney Spears. We'll talk about that in a little bit. NCAA video games, college football, Kobe Bryant back in the news. But of course, we're going to start out with Damian Lillard. Latest on Dame, Portland Trailblazers. Aaron Fentress of uh, the Oregonian covers the Blazers. He tweeted this out about an hour ago. He said he just spoke with Damian Lillard's agent, Aaron Goodwin. This is what Fentress tweeted out, quote, I had a, and this is from Aaron Goodwin, what he said to Fentress, quote, I had a positive conversation with Joe Cronin, and I made it clear that Damian would want them to sit down and have a meaningful negotiation with Miami, and I think that's something that Joe and the Blazers will do, and quote. And it's just like we've been saying. We've been saying this since the trade request has happened, is that the Portland Trail Blazers... They're going to work with Damian Lillard as much as they can, right? They respect Dame. They enjoy Dame when he was here in Portland. He did so much for the franchise. But they can't just give in and give him to the Miami Heat. So they're going to work with him. They would love to send him to Miami, send him out of the Western Conference, only face him twice a season, not have him burn the Blazers for four straight, four games in the regular season. Have it two. Once in Miami, once in Portland. That's best case scenario. But the Trailblazers don't want Tyler Hero. And I think that's pretty clear that Portland does not want Tyler Hero. So how does that get involved? How did the Blazers get Damian Lillard to Miami? Well, they work with Miami and try to get a third team, maybe a fourth team. Brian Windhorst suggested a fifth team. There's a lot of options that you can have. Adrian Wojnarowski, he put out an article today talking about the outlines of a trade that he can offer. Right now, Miami can only offer a max of two first round picks, which would be in 2028 and 2030. Five years of first-round pick swaps. Their first-rounder from last year, Nikola Jovic. The draft rights to Jaime Hawkins Jr. And that's about it. And Tyler Hero to the Portland Trailblazers for Damian Lillard straight up. And I don't think that's enough. I don't think two first-round picks in 2028 and 2030, along with some pick swaps and unproven players, is enough for Damian Lillard. Now, I may be wrong, and it may be the only trade out there. And it may be the only trade that any team offers. And if that's the case, then yeah, Joe Cronin is going to pull the trigger and it's going to be a straight one-for-one one team trade, Portland and Miami. But I think as Trailblazer fans, 
and me and Judah have been talking about this. You got to start thinking of maybe a third team who can be involved, who could facilitate a trade for Dame if you really want to get him to Miami. And that's the hard part is we don't know exactly who's available, who's not available. Earlier today, former Duck Chris Duarte, first-round pick, lottery pick two seasons ago, he got traded to the Kings for two second-round picks. I had not heard anything one time about Chris Duarte could be on the move or for what it could be. And I think that's what how NBA teams like it. They don't want to let you know who's available. These guys always become available. Not that Duarte is a great player, but he's a serviceable role player in the NBA. And they gave up two second-round picks that aren't going to matter. So I think in the NBA, it's very... There's so much news that is out there, but we have to look at it and we have to say, well, why is this out there? You know, Woj is talking about how the Blazers need to get a huge haul for Damian Lillard. He also said a year ago and two years ago when he signed, Dame signed the contract extension that Dame may never be another all-NBA player again. He also said that most front offices would love to be in Portland's shoes and have Joe Cronin's job, but they would love to start out by getting rid of Damian Lillard and starting over. So where does Woj stand on this? Is Woj is getting his information directly from the Portland Trailblazers. I think that's pretty obvious. He's getting his info straight from the franchise. He's trying to make Portland look good. So where's Shams going to get his info from? Where's Chris Haynes get his from? Haynes is from Dame and Aaron Goodwin. That's for sure. So it, it, there's so many tentacles to this story of what we're trying to figure out what is true, what is not. Woj is pushing out a narrative that says, well, the Trailblazers need to trade Dame for the biggest haul back. But he also said two years ago that Dame may never be an all-NBA player again. So what do, what do we believe? Maybe it is the Heat are the only team that's offering. I don't think so. I think there's going to be another team that would love to jump in and get Dame for another couple of years and go all in because that's how the NBA does it. They make trades for star players, try to compete for a championship. Whether that's Utah, whether that's Boston, whether it's Philadelphia, I think someone is going to do it. And as we get closer to the season, more and more teams, I think, will become interested and throw out better trade offers than what the Miami has offered. But like I said yesterday, that Heat trade, that one trade that they have with Tyler Hero or if it's Duncan Robinson and players and draft picks, that will always be there for the Portland Trailblazers to fall back on. Whether it's now, whether it's at the NBA trade deadline, whether it's at the start of the season, wherever it is, Portland can always send Dame to Miami. It's just interesting to me how it's really, I mean, and we all know this. We all know that Woj and these guys that break news, they're helping out franchises. They're helping out agents. They have their own agendas, so they get their sources. And now we're acting like, well, this this is crazy. Like, we've never seen, no, this happens all the time. And so I, I think it's somewhere in the middle, Judah, where it's like Woj is talking about the players need to get, you know, an all-time haul for Damian Lillard. And now you have people saying, well, you know, Dame just only wants to go to Miami. He's going to be unhappy. They should just trade him there for nothing. Like, there's got to be some type of middle ground. I think exactly where it is, is it's somewhere in the middle of, you know, the Rudy Gobert Hall, which is insane that he got that many draft picks. Portland's probably not going to get that. But then also Bradley Beal, you look on his side, they got like second round picks for, a, you know, a legitimate all-star. It's somewhere in between those. And I think right now we're so... The way we are as a society is we're so extreme both ways. It's kind of killing the middle of it. And it's like, well, no, we can think one way, but we also think can, can think the other way and it can be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Wh which piece of content today you think is more, you know, catches your eye more? Was it the Woj story on ESPN Plus or was it this Frenchist tweet getting Aaron Goodwin's statement? 
I think it's, I would say Fentress. I would say Fentress talking directly to the agent. That's what Dame wants. I think right now, Woj is pushing everything to the Blazers side. He's trying to help Portland out by bringing up Damian Lillard's trade value when it may be a little less than I think it is and maybe a little less than some Blazer fans think it is. And Aaron Goodwin is pushing something that says, you know what, we only want to go to Miami. Portland, do us right. Send us to Miami. Do whatever it takes. And he's trying to help out his client. His, you know, I, I think I think Fentress talking to the, directly to the agent is a little bigger news than, than Woj. I will say about the Woj piece um, that I thought was pretty fascinating and you're right, trying to break down the who he's trying to make look good. You know, I think it is mostly Portland-friendly and Joe Cronin-friendly, but he also said, hey, this is the biggest trade of Joe Cronin's life. Like, the pressure is on this guy to get it right. He said it doesn't have to go fast, but he's got to get it right. Um, you know, he also included in his piece, he said, hey, the Blazers at the end of the day may not like the Miami deal, but it might be the only one that they get, which is also... A little bit non-Blazer friendly. So, I don't know. I think mostly it, it casts Joe Cronin in a leverage. Um, you know, he's got the leverage. But at the same time, I think there is a couple paragraphs in there where Woj is at least trying to play both sides of the uh, of the court so he's not coming across so Blazer one-sided as he has in the past. I would also say the Fentress tweet with um, the quotes from Aaron Goodwin made Goodwin sound a little bit softer than... He then he sounded in Woj's piece. Woj made it sound like you know Goodwin is calling all these non-Miami teams and basically tell them don't trade for Dame. He'll be unhappy if you trade for him, which and, I don't. And buy. he probably I won't buy. play. Yeah. I don't. I don't buy that either. And I think executives probably don't buy it either. But it's also an agent move that agents have done for years, right? Yeah, he has to, to try yeah, to depress has, the market. He has to do that. Like that's the thing. Like we've seen too much. Uh, you know, too much too much proof that Damian Lillard is going to go out and play. Like if he gets traded to Boston where, you know, think about this. When Kevin Garnett got traded to Boston, he basically thought Boston was racist. And now he's loved in Boston because he went there and he played because he's a baller and wants to play basketball. Like he loves it there now. I think that's the same thing with Dame. Like he could say he doesn't want to play in Boston or Philadelphia. He gets traded there and the fan base treats him well and he wins and they love him. He's going to play and he'll be fine. I, yeah, I have a hard time thinking that Lillard would sit out. If he sits out during the season anywhere, it might be here. Exactly. I don't disagree with that. I think this is. The, I think Portland would be the only place he does sit out. I don't even think he'd sit out in Portland. Like I said that before. I think. I think there's a shot where he's back on the Blazers regular season game one. He's out on the court, which would be so awkward. But I. I think that could happen. Um, some of the things that Woj said I thought were interesting caught my eye. Of course, uh, you know he talked about Utah, and Utah has made a call to Portland but didn't offer anything in particular, and that's exactly what we've been hearing. Uh, you know, Bill Riley came on, talked to Kanzano, said that you know. Danny Ainge is going to slow play this. He's going to let the market figure it out. And then he's going to come in at a specific time as a poker player and make his move. And that's kind of what we've all been hearing is that Utah still is a player in this. And that's the same thing. You know, is Dame going to be happy going to Utah? Maybe not, but you know what? He played college in Utah. They love him already in Utah. Like we've talked, I've talked to people that are from Utah. They love Damian Lillard because he played at Weber state. He respects it. He knows what it's about. And that fan base is rabid. You know, they have a bad, the, the bad rap to other fan bases and to road teams. But when you're the home team and you're the jazz, they do love you. So again, I think if he got traded to Utah, he wouldn't be happy about it, but he'd go out and play. He'd be a baller and the jazz would be really good. And then he'd be fine. So I I'm with you. I, I think it'd be, it's tough to see Damian Lillard get traded anywhere besides Miami and be like, no, I'm not going to play. I'm good. I'm going to sit out for a couple of years 
because I have four years left on my contract. Right, and you know Woj's piece too made the made the point that Lillard signed this you know massive supermax extension mm-hmm. that he's only eligible for because he was bl- bl- drafted by the Blazers, and now that the fact that he signed that a year ago and is asking out a year later makes it hard to deal you cleanly. This is going to inevitably be a messy process. It's not lack of respect one way or the other. It is what it is because 60 mil a year at age 35 and 36 is fundamentally prohibitive. Especially at the point guard position. So what do you expect? You know what I mean? Like it, it, It's going to be messy. It doesn't have to be filled with hate or vitriol, but it's going to be messy. And because it's messy, it might last a while. And we might be in this thing for the long haul, like Woj pointed out. It might last July, might last August. Does Cronin have the stones to last it through training camp? If he invites Lillard to training camp, does Lillard report? What are the financial ramifications if he doesn't, one way or the other? I don't know, man. I'm starting to think that we're going to settle in this and still settle down for the long haul. But I do think if you're betting on, like, DraftKings, like, I think the prop is where will he play his first minutes next season. I still don't think he plays in a Blazer uniform at any point, even if he's still on the team. I still I don't see how and he that can is, do that. <laughs> that is the third favorite, uh, by the way. It is Miami, uh, Miami first. I, could, I blanked. Boston is second, and then Portland is third right now. With and Philadelphia Boston, is fourth. Boston's still plus money, right? Yeah, they're like plus 550. I want to say Miami is still minus 250, 300, something like that. Yeah, I know they were 300 yesterday. I'm, I'm sure it's ebbed and flowed, but... This might be a long-term thing unless, unless, and this is kind of the other side of Summer League. You know, at Summer League, you're getting face-to-face with all these guys that really that yeah. really mean what they're trying to do. And Woj pointed this out. There are some executives making courtesy calls because they're trying to appease an owner that says, call about Dame. But if you're really serious about getting on Dame, these GMs, these decision-makers, these execs, they're going to meet with Joe in Vegas. I mean, this, this starting this weekend, and I think we're going to hear some stuff. It'll be fun. It's always said what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, no, it doesn't. Not in the NBA. You can start a conversation there, and it can last outside of Vegas. But you talk about Dame and the age, and I do think that is something we don't talk about as much. Like, I know science and the way that you work your body out, and people, their you know their bodies are staying better as they get older. But I can name you the point guards who have gone to age 35, 36, and been just as successful as they were when they were 28, 29, and it's one. It's Chris Paul. Even the best, even the greats, John Stockton. You want to know when he started, uh, his numbers really started lagging at age 35. 34, he averaged a double-double after that the last time. So well, I, and that guy took a lot more punishment than Dame has taken. He also, uh, him and Chris and Paul dished also, out more punishment. <laughs> they weren't reliant on their speed and their explosiveness. I know Dame isn't like the ultra athlete that everyone, you know, that he, people talk about this. He's not the best athlete. He's a great athlete, but he's more explosive than anything. When you get older, do you still have that explosiveness? Chris Paul's never been an explosive player. And I think that's why his game really set up to when he got older. I'm not saying Dame's going to be bad when he's 35 or 36, but to be making $60 million, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to justify that he's going to be an all NBA guy at that age. I don't, I don't think it's possible. Pardon my ignorance, but in this world of fully guaranteed con- contracts and all that, like there's no such thing as renegotiating your, no. your deal. No, like you can in the NFL, nope. et cetera. Like it's, it's, it's locked that's, in. And to me, good for the players, but this is part of this. What makes it prohibitive when you try to move places one year, 
after you sign the thing. And this, he is loyal. Without question, he's been loyal more than other superstars would be. But he's gotten paid with a capital P. And he got it a year ago, and he's already asking out. Like, that's the reality of the situation. And guys have done it. KD did it. But I don't know. That game is on KD's level. Yeah. 503-417-7575. If you want to call in, talk about Dame, will he be able to be an all-league player when he's 36? When he's 35, 36 years old, he's making $60 million. Can he still be that guy? So I, you know, I would love to know what you guys think about that. And I think when you talk about that also, the Heat the Heat are one of those teams that doesn't care about that stuff. Like they're paying Kyle Lowry a bunch. Like they will pay you a lot of money because they're going for it for this season. And so I think that's why the Heat are such a prohibitive favorite that they don't care about the contract right now. They just figure out, well, you know what? We have Pat Riley. We'll figure it out later because we're so good at this kind of stuff that we'll take on any type of contract. Here's what I've been thinking about a lot, Judah. The Blazers and the Heat. If the Heat are going to take Damian Lillard and the Blazers are going to take a lesser package, somehow you got to figure out to get Yusuf Nurkic to Miami. And this, I think, is we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but you need to put Nurk in some type of trade with Damian Lillard if you're not going to get a huge package back. If you're not going to get you know the four or five first-round picks like Utah got for Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, you got to send off a bad contract. And Nurk, I get it. He's a good player, but he's not a great player. He's not a needle mover, and you're going to have him for three more years. Here's my thing. I was talking about this with a friend the other day, but Yusuf Nurkic. The Trailblazers, they're in a rebuild mode. And when you're in a rebuild mode, yeah, you want some good players, but you also don't want veterans that are going to help you win. Well, Nurk isn't going to hurt your team. Like, he will help you win games. But he's not like a difference maker where he's going to make make a team an elite team or even make a team make a playoffs, but he's going to help you win some games because he is a good player. And the Blazers don't need that right now. The Blazers need to get younger. We don't need good players. We don't need that good of a player Take at this. Take good players at, and get them out of here. We don't. That, that came across wrong, but yeah, that's exactly no, what I said. No, you're not wrong. But it's, it, we don't need these type of players at this age, at this contract, with this roster. That's just not what you need. And so for Nurk, I think it is very important to unload his contract as well if they are trading Dame and they don't get the package back. Brian Windhorse, ESPN, he did touch on this, talked about how the Blazers may put Nurk in a deal with Damian Lillard. Well, one of the avenues that Miami could go down to try to get Portland interested in making a deal is by taking on Yusef Nurkic. When the Blazers signed Yusef Nurkic to a four-year deal last summer, uh, it was to basically set screens and be the road grader for Lillard. And if the Blazers are going to go into a retrofit here, it you know, and they can't get the assets exactly they want in terms of players and picks, one of the ways they can help themselves is by offloading Yusef Nurkic. And so the Heat have been going down this avenue. Is there a way to take Nurkic? Now, this would be a very gigantic deal, just the, the amount of money being swallowed. Um and we already just talked about how Tyler Hero might not end up in Portland in negotiations. It, it doesn't make sense for the, the Heat to take on Yusef Nurkic. They have a franchise center in Bam Adebayo who's an all-star. So the Heat are working it. Nurkic, he signed a four-year, $70 million deal at the end of last season. He, so that was his first year last year. He'll be 29 when the season is uh, begins next season. He'll be making just under $17 million then year two, $18 million, and then his third year, $19.3 million. Nurk is a good player, but for where the Blazers are, you don't need a 29, 30-year-old player making up that kind of money at that position as a center. So I think the Blazers right now, if it is true, where 
The Miami Heat have the best offer, maybe have the only offer out there for Dame. Somehow, if the Blazers can figure out to put Nurk in the deal, that's going to make it a little less of a sting, and the Blazers will be on a better chance to you know start that rebuild. Best case scenario, you can get a three-team deal working and unload both of them, potentially, but... I think that's the only way that they'll be able to get rid of Nurk. Right, like I think if like because no one's going to trade for him straight up. I just I just don't think the Heat are gonna the Heat don't have enough contracts to make it up to be like we're going to take Dame and Nurk. It would have to be a three or four team deal where Nurk goes somewhere else. And it's also because the NFL is sometimes the team trading the contract has to eat some of the money like as part of the yeah. deal, but it doesn't work that way in the NBA. Like you're sending the full boat, which makes it hard. Like the Blazers, if and then they don't have a ton of cap space, but they have some. Like if they have if they decided to eat a little bit of it and ship out Nurk, that'd be different, but I don't think you could do that in the NPA. And yeah, I mean, I don't know that that leads me to think that it could be a three team, maybe four team type of deal. If you want to unload both of them at the same time, but that's, the, but that's also the case where this may be, like you said, at the start, we should, we could be in the long haul. This could, is, this, yeah. We could be at the first, this could be first down right now, which like, I'm fine with that. And like, I am too. I'm fine. Again, again, I want the best deal for the Blazers. And if the best deal for the Blazers is, Getting rid of Yusuf Nurkic and not, you know, not getting as many draft picks or not as many young players, but it has to be a four-team deal. I want Joe Cronin to work that out. I want him to be patient on, be patient on this and get that deal done. You don't need to hurry. The Blazers have what they have right now, and if Dane comes back at the start of the season and he wants to play for Portland, that's great. If he wants to sit out, that's fine too. If he doesn't want to go to training camp, doesn't want to play in the regular season, they got guys. They got Scoot. They got Shaden Sharp. It doesn't matter. They'll they'll play the young guys. If Dame wants to play for a little bit, play 30, 35 minutes a night for Portland at the start of the year, let him play. Let the fans see Dame for you know one last hurrah for half a season. Really? Yeah. Why not? Who cares? I think that. The Blazers aren't competing for anything. He asked for a trade. If he wants to come back for half that. a year. If he wants you to go to Miami. Out if he wants walk to, up the floor. If he wants to go to Miami, <laughs> you know what? This may be the only option. Because right now, they don't have enough. Well, and I agree with that about Wade. I don't know about letting him play. You don't want him to play. No. No. I don't want that guy to play. Do you think Dame would want to play? What if he gets hurt? <laughs> That's tough. Do you think Dame would want to play, though? No, I don't think Dame would want to play. You think play. he'd sit out? Yeah, I, I think he would sit out. I think he would sit out because he wants to be somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know. If you want to be somewhere else, why would you? <laughs> and maybe Dame's cut out of a different cloth. We know we know that for a fact. He, like, is. he already is kind of a different cloth. But conventionally speaking, I do not see how... Someone of his ilk asks for a trade, doesn't get traded, and then comes back and plays during the season. I just don't see that happening. Trailblazers did also send out a uh, a message of like season tickets today. It was a quick turnaround. It is now, uh, hey, Rip City, are you ready for the next chapter, Rip City? And it had a picture of Anthony Simons on it. So no more. No more. We're building around Dame with this draft pick. I thought we were trading Simons. That's what I thought. Maybe they're gonna. Have I a, guess that was only for, maybe to they, help Dame. Maybe they got a second, a second image ready to go with uh, Scoot and Shaden Sharp on it too. By the way, they met. You know, uh, Cronin, Goodwin, Lillard met on Monday, the twenty fourth. Maybe no, nah, it was after the draft, which was like the twenty seventh. So it was, uh, it was the Monday after the draft, and that's when the Dame poster started coming down at Moda Center from the front of Moda Center. We kind of right. joked about it, like, ha ha, wink, wink. Uh, I think everybody knew. I think people, kn- I think Goodwin and Lillard knew going into that meeting that they were done. Probably. And Cronin tried to come out spinning it, but he was in the barn. <laughs> the poster was coming down. Someone knew something. 
Why else? Why else would you take the poster down? They're cleaning windows. Yeah, you got, I've seen people. Now it's Simon's on the front of these emails. <laughs> I've seen people clean our windows. They got yeah, no, do, we got no posters. But you got to do it at some point. You got no Joey Harrington on our windows. That would be pretty sick. If we, we need to put posters up, though. That would be pretty sick. That'd be actually a great idea. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break here. When we come back, uh, the Blazers did make a roster move yesterday. Uh, we talked about Matisse Thybulle signing with the Mavericks. Blazers uh, had the option to match it. Did they do that or not? We'll talk about that. Uh, I also want to talk about Victor Wimbanyama. And uh, Britney Spears, what do they have in common? I also want to talk about this. I've always said I want the Trailblazers to win a championship. That's what I always think about. And I just want one. I always say, I want one. I want to go to a parade with my kids. But what happens if they actually win? How do I feel? How do I feel after the year after, the next year after? Are my expectations higher or lower? Am I satisfied? Am I content? I want to talk about that a little bit. This is the Ball of Face Truth. I'm Stephen Vaughn filling in for John Canzano on the Ball of Face Truth Radio Network. <laughs> Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Three twenty-eight in the state of Oregon. Statewide, Bald Face Truth. I'm seeing Von Junubi as well, filling in for John Canzano. I want to thank all the listeners out there for listening to us. And Judah... Before I get to uh, what I want to talk about with NBA championships, real quick here, Matisse Thibel signed a three-year, $33 million offer sheet with the Dallas Mavericks. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday. That's about what we thought he'd get, 10 to $11 million. I was surprised it was a three-year deal, not a four-year deal, because uh, Dallas could offer four years for $53 million, I believe, $52 million. Um, so he got a little less than what I thought, but the third year is a player option as well for Thibel. Portland has already decided to match that offer, so he will be back in a Trailblazers uniform next season. Matisse Thibel, uh, still only 26 years old. He's been all NBA defense twice in his career, even though he doesn't necessarily address exactly what the Trailblazers need defensively. Uh, he's not the strongest on-ball defender. He's a good on-ball defender, but not an elite one. He's an elite off-ball defender, getting steals, getting blocks, playing passing lanes, blocking shots from behind. Um, you know, is it a little bit of an overpay? Probably because he's very bad offensively. And I think we saw that in Portland. He made some shots when he first got here. And then after that, you know, not a great, he can't really dribble, can't really finish inside, can't really shoot. So offense is definitely lacking. But uh, when he hit that kind of a defender, an all NBA defender for three years, at three year contract, and he's only 26 years old, it's something you can always trade at the end. So it's one of those assets that is good to have. Um, not surprised neither that Portland matched that deal as well. Judy, do you have any thoughts on uh, yeah. Matisse Thibel coming back? Well, and the Mavs seem to hedge their bets a little bit with the sign-and-trade for Grant Williams, and that might be where yeah. the four-year number that you mentioned ended up getting occupied. And um, But it also seemed like Portland was going to re-sign Matisse all along, yeah. or at least match yeah. all along. So maybe that was just the Mavs saying, hey, we're going to do our due diligence. But I think, I don't know, good on the Mavs for pulling off the Grant Williams deal. What do you think about that move? Because I think that definitely affected – what uh, what number and contract length they were able to, to get Matisse for. Yeah, I mean, Dallas has definitely gone out and addressed that they need some defense and some toughness because we know that Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, they're two stars. They don't play defense. And last year, their big acquisition was Christian Wood, who's a really good offensive player, horrible defensive player, and Dallas doesn't even make the play-in. And they tanked the last two games, so they made sure they didn't make the play-in. And now they've gone out, they've got some tough guys, and Grant Williams... Um, I like that move. You know, I love Luka Doncic. I think he's a top five player in the NBA still. And, you know, he gets a bad, you know, he gets some criticism because, yeah, he kind of is a ball hog because he dribbles the ball a lot and the ball is always in his hands. 
but he's so good with it. And he, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a guy control the speed of a game at such a young age like Luka Doncic does. He, he can he can completely play at his pace, and the game slows down to his pace, which is unbelievable. Like, that doesn't happen very often. Chris Paul does this really well as well. Like, he's not a big fa- fast break guy, transition guy. He's going to slow half de- half court, slow it down. Luka at his age does that so well already. I think it's 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 a unteachable skill, mm. and Luka has it. So I'm interested to see what Dallas does the rest of this offseason. I think they'll be back in the playoffs next year. So I like the Grant Williams move because he provides something they just didn't have, and that's a guy that you know you can throw on defense and say, hey, go guard the best player. Right, and he's got the playoff experience, which is huge for them too. For Matisse, what do you think about his three-point shooting? It got better, limited sample size. It, what he shoot almost 39% while he was in Portland. If he could add that as a consistent part of his game, now I think you're talking about a value contract as opposed to just, uh, hey, he's a defensive only guy. I do agree with you, but I don't think he'll ever be able to add that consistently. I just think at his age, like, kind of is what he is at 26. Like, there's not much room for improvement, which he's a fine player, and he's going to have games where he knocks down three three three-pointers, but... It's going to be like Al Farouk Aminu, Maurice Harkless when they were here. Like even, even though Aminu shot like 36, 37%, he was never – no one respected him. Well, right? and just right? the way like, it came out of his hand, you right. knew it was trouble. But like, the, but like the defense left him open on purpose <laughs> and said, we'll live with you shooting wide open three-pointers. I that think Pelican was, series is just seared into my brain. I'll think that's how Fiebel is. Like Fiebel's going to be left wide open, and they'll say, you know what, if you can hit 40%, go for it because I don't think you can. And so I don't think they'll even worry about him on the defensive side, which does hurt Portland. And that's when you need, you know, it's going to be tough for guys like Scoot and Shane Sharp then to drive to the hoop. And that's what Dame was so good at was getting fouled. But again, I think the contract only being three years, being his age, what he does, you know, I talk about having an NBA skill. He has an NBA skill that's playing defense. And I think that's always going to be valuable in the league. Will he start, you think? Yeah, I think he'll be the start. He'll be a starter when the season opens. At the uh, three or at the two? three at with the three. Jeremy at the four. Yeah, I would guess it would be. Well, it depends on what they do with Anthony Simons. I don't know what yeah. they're going to do. I mean, I, I've always been. I've been on the under the impression that Anthony Simons was going to be traded this off season, but I don't know. I I, I don't know what the Blazers are going to do. It's it's so it's such a mystery now. But at the start of the off season, it was made pretty clear to me that Simons is probably on his way out. But if Simons is back, I mean, he has to start. Like you can't put him on the bench. I would imagine Scoot. Or Shaden Sharp starting off the bench, and Thibault's going to be starting at the three because none of those three guys, Shaden Sharp, uh, Scoot Henderson, or Anthony Simons, are defenders. So you can't have all three of them out on the court at one time. So Thibault would have to start. Man, can Sharp be a defender eventually? Yeah, he's I mean, too it, athletic and too long to be a there's, to be he, a zero. He's so young. I even think Anthony Simons could turn into an average defender still. Like he's still oh, he's still so nice. average at best. Like they're still so young and they have such room to improve. And I think if you get the right coaching staff around him, and I think Chauncey maybe that guy may not be that guy, but like if you can get him to figure it out, I think they have. A, I still think they have a chance to become average defenders or above average defenders, especially for Scoot and Shane Sharp. Because where'd they finish last year in defensive rating? Not great. Twenty eight or something. It's twenty. Just either twenty seven or twenty eight or twenty nine or thirty. Kind of, you know, reminds me. What are the goals of next season? Assuming obviously Dame is gone, and we'll we'll see what the get back is. But some fight defensively. I think you can already ask for that. Yes. Some some fight and improvement on the defensive end of the floor for a team that's not expected to win any games. I think is a reasonable hope. I mean, can we ask for top twenty? We ask for a top twenty defense. I think you should. I think we should. And yeah. I, I I think the fact, you know, look, I love Dame, but he is a negative on the defensive side. And I think well, we, we also got to see who the freaking five is going to be. They the don't center. have anybody at all besides Nurk right now. And that's 
not that great. Be so maybe maybe top twenty is too ambitious. <laughs> but I, I just I just think it's almost one of those things where it's addition by subtraction. Like Dame is so good offensively, and he was relied on so much that you couldn't rely on him on defense. Like it wasn't fair to be like, hey, go guard all the best players and then score thirty five a night. Like you can't do that. That's just not sustainable over an eighty two game season. But I think Dame was such a negative on defense. Like it's hard when your leader doesn't want to put in the effort on that side. Like, I think I, I think it's okay to ask him to be like, hey, can you play a little bit harder defense? Can you show a little more desire? And he just never had the interest in doing that. So I think right now when you've got these young guys trying to prove they belong in the NBA, they're going to put at least some effort on that side of the basketball. Well, that's, you know, you mentioned the Chris Paul comparison earlier about how players age. And the one, Chris Paul could still be just a thorn in your side defending you. Yeah. And, that's something that Dame would ne- will never have his reputation be part of. Is he'll never be the thorn in anybody's side defensively. Yeah. Offensively, yeah, he is always the thorn in your side. Like yeah. he, he's always going to be a problem. But defensively, yeah, maybe, more so just, than Chris. Yeah. Uh, at least from a shot making standpoint, definitely different players. They just play the game they so are. differently. I, I hate I hate when people compare. Like they'll that's say true. that's how Dame's yeah. going to age. As Chris Paul was like, no, they are not even close to the same player. Yeah, and you mentioned the speed of the game thing. I think is interesting too. Would you say Dame? Has that skill as well, or is he more of like it doesn't matter the speed? I'm going to try to get to the rim. I think anybody. I think Dame I think Dame can go with any flow. Dame's fine. Like you see him in All Star games and he's perfectly fine. Like just run and gun. You can say that again. Run and gun, shooting from super deep or getting to the hoop and dunking. Like he can kind of go with the flow. I don't think he has one speed. Like I talked about Luca slowing it down, Chris Paul slowing it down. They have one speed. Like they don't want to go fast. They want to control the ball, run pick and rolls, make every single decision. I think Dame is more of a go-with-the-flow type of guy. Yeah. Like, he, he, if the Blazers need to score a lot of points and the Blazers need to score 120 to win, he can do that. If they need to score 100 and slow it down, I think he can slow it down and then the last five seconds run a pick-and-play. So I, I think Dame is kind of different in that sense, too, that he's not a true ball distributor. Like, he's more of a scorer than he is a distributor. I would say Luka and Chris Paul are guys that want to get other people involved. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Chris, I just... I think Chris is really fascinating because he's still without a ring and he's had, he has had some swings. He's had some bites of the apple and he's sure as hell had a lot of better supporting cast talent than Damian Lillard, but they've also been up against better playoff competition than, than Dame's than Dame's had to see probably because he's had more playoff appearances than Dame, but uh, including one appearance against Dame. When, it's also the health, the health hurt. thing too. The health and that's part of it too. Yeah. And Dame hasn't played full seasons in the last couple of years. Some of it's on purpose, <laughs> But that is, you know, whoever gets this guy, Damian Lillard, the worst case scenario is he gets banged up and is unable to give you a full length playoff run. I mean, he hasn't had a deep playoff run aside from one, and uh, it only went four games deep in the Western Conference Finals. If you're getting Dame, you're hoping that he can give you four series deep worth of elite play. And, you know, I, I you would have to bet on the chance that he can do it. Well, and I think we also forget about this. In that playoff run, uh, when the Blazers did make the Western Conference Finals, it's not as if Dame had a great Western Conference semifinals against no. the Nuggets. Thank God for CJ. CJ controlled that game seven, especially. Dame averaged twenty five points. Yes, awesome. Shot forty percent and shot twenty nine on threes. Like that, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't have a great shooting series against the Denver Nuggets. I remember Game Four of that series was uh, was it Game Four or maybe it was Game Three. Game Three was the the four O yeah. team. And Dame just he just didn't quite have he played the, the he played, killer. He played fifty eight minutes, only took twenty four shots. Yeah. 
That's true. Yeah, and Jokic, I remember played like sixty. I didn't want to say. And then the game in Game Seven, the win, Dame was three for seventeen shooting. Exactly. And CJ, I mean, that's that's his legacy right there for all the uh, the block the block shot that he had, the chase down block, the chase down block, and the killer you know crossover jumper to to seal yeah, CJ, it. CJ went for thirty seven points that night on M- Mother's Day afternoon in in Denver. I'll always remember because it was Mother's Day, but I went to visit my mom and it was like, I, I got to watch this basketball game. But we all watched it. It was fun. But that's CJ's legacy, man. And Dame should be, that's that's part of Dame's legacy in turn. He made it to the Western Conference Finals, but had a lead in every single one of those games. Couldn't get it done. Obviously, the Warriors were stacked, but they didn't have KD. And, uh, you know, he was kind of, the only reason he got there is because Christian James McCollum came up huge in the second round series. It's also the Evan Turner game, 14.7 rebounds in that game seven win. Eight and nine from the free throw line. He dominated the fourth quarter. I remember saying that after that game, that validated the contract, that it one did. game that from Evan Turner. But it show it does show you like how the playoffs are a different game. Like Evan Turner was successful because he got to the free throw line and was strong and had grown man drives to the hoop. Like some guys just don't do that. And Evan Turner was a guy that you could play in the playoffs and you didn't have to worry about it. Isn't it amazing? And you just fast forward, what, four years later. It seems so long ago. Same ass court with basically the same ass players. The team Portland beats went in the whole thing. Yeah. And to think of where Portland's been since then and where Denver's been since then. I mean, that's, that's impressive for Denver. Same coach. Same same Jokic, except he's only gotten better, obviously. Well, I will say this. You know, Porter is now a dude. and uh, Well, Michael Porter didn't play in those games. He didn't play in those games. Only only two guys are on the Nuggets team from that squad. Murray Jokic? Yep. Yeah. I mean, the two best players. But... Well, and then we lost to Denver when they didn't even have Murray two years later. Yeah. The hell? <laughs> That's just Portland Trailblazer basketball for you. But, yeah, uh, Dame, again, and th- that, that goes back to, like, just construction of the roster. Right, like it was only four years ago. You we're talking about they have none of the same guys besides their two stars. They replaced everybody, and it was by free agency, by trades, by draft. Like that's how you do it. The Blazers just kind of hung on to everybody for all yeah. forever. Well, and and you know, cra- the the biggest thing for me is that Malone is still there. But to their credit, they made it to the Western Conference Finals in the bubble, right? Like they responded a lot better than Portland did in twenty nineteen to twenty twenty. And that's probably what allowed Malone to keep his job. Then they beat Portland in 21. They keep knocking on the door in, in 22. Jokic is winning MVPs, and now they win the whole thing in, in 23. Like, I don't know. I, I think back to them meeting in 2019 and be like, wow, how did Denver come out of that and win it four years later and Portland is where Portland is? But part of it's the Jokic ascension, but I don't credit to Mike Malone for, for sticking with it and ownership trusting him. And they're the ones that still compounded their playoff success with more playoff success and obviously portland didn't some of that's the nurk injury but i think there's more things at play than that because nurk Nurk was so good at that point he was really good and i'm not look don't want to be the victim but that was a big deal i feel like he went down i feel like i'm bagging on dame a lot today but he also didn't play well in the western conference finals either shot 37 percent yeah from the field but game five against denver 2021 unbelievable the, maybe the best playoff That's performance the, in history. Be, in the best history. playoff performance of all time. And, we and they win still the game. lost. They still lost. And that, I mean, that's the thing. Dame has been so good. And like, and that's always, that's been the biggest problem for me is like the fact how much they relied on Damian Lillard offensively. You couldn't get one other guy to handle the ball. You couldn't get one other guy to create your own shot. I mean, that was CJ, but CJ was so passive aggressive sometimes when he didn't get the ball. He just go stand in the corner. He had the one chance, steps out of bounds. Like, 
I don't know. Maybe that's a little on Dame for not getting other people involved, but maybe I also think it's some of the roster construction. I think it's a little bit of both. Watching some of those highlights on YouTube, I've done a couple times in the last month or so. It's just ridiculous, the shot making from Lillard in that game. And we're never going to be And you're about to think, oh, he's going to miss this one, or it's going to run out, and he just keeps making these ridiculous shots. It will be interesting to see if Dame does go to Miami. What does his defense look like? Well, Caspo has a high bar. Gabe Vincent signed with the Lakers this offseason. He's a really good defender against guys that are like 6'2 or under. Like anyone above, he can just post up, he gets beasted. But like it was an actual point guard, really good on-ball defense. And you saw that in the playoffs all the way to the finals. Like that's not that's not Dame's style. Like he's not no. gonna is he gonna get after guys? I don't know. No, Miami's gonna have to be a different team a little bit than what they were. Because Lowry can also be a you know thorn in your side. Yeah, he's just annoying. And he'll hurt you, allegedly. He just uh, throws that big booty at you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> that thing is a badonk. <laughs> yeah, let's get that expiring. <laughs> Let's flip that. The Lowry Badonk and, and the uh, cash consideration. The Mariners got the big dumper. The Blazers <laughs> going to get the big dumper and Kyle Lowry. Oh, what a what a uh, what a legend! But Jimmy Butler is not going to let anybody rest easy. That no. guy busts his ass for forty minutes a night. And I w- I will tell you this: I I would love to see if Dame goes Miami. I would love to see what his offense looks like in the in big time playoff games. Well, that's why they got him. Like, like, is it is he going to get after it defensively and still be able to score 25, 30 points efficiently? I don't know. I, I want to see it. I want to see it because no. Dame hasn't had that. He hasn't had the chance to do it in Portland except for that one year, but he had no one else around him. He had his, he had his my, freedom as a center. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, I mean, he, that team is terrible. And Forgot so, like, his so, freedom. So to take, like, take those jokers and bake of good, that's, that's something Dame always has. But, like, if he goes to Miami, they have other dudes. Like, they've got better defenders than Portland's ever had. He should, in theory, be able to be the same efficiency offensively and play harder defense. It's going to raise their offensive ceiling to something that they haven't had. And defensively, they've got enough dudes to cover them up that Portland didn't have. That is if Miami can get their deal, get their act together, and get another team involved and get this trade done. Yeah, I mean, but, you know. Take Nurk while you're at it, too. Is Miami in a hurry? Do you think Miami's trying to get this done as soon as possible? Yeah. I think the heat culture thing is real, and they want to get Dame a part of that, get the heat culture injected into their veins. I, I think that is real. I think they know they're kind of on a clock here. Like, Can we get Kevin Love back in the deal just to get him back in Portland? Just for fun. Or is it Portland East with Love, Spolstra, and Dame? I don't know. That, much I don't it. think Kevin Love wants to go to Portland. I, I didn't say he wanted to. <laughs> Make him. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break here. When we come back. we got the big splash coming up. I'm Stephen Vaughn. That's Judah Newby. We're filling in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Bald Face Truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano on this wonderful Thursday in the state of Oregon, everywhere, everywhere around the state of Oregon. It's got to be beautiful. I don't know, actually. I just know Portland's beautiful right now. Um, I went to the beach. That was beautiful there. Like you said, it was windy, but it's always windy there. I'm going to Lake Tahoe next week. I'm excited. It's supposed to be cold there, though. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I feel about July wearing sweatshirts. I, I'm, I just gonna, I'm gonna revolt. I'm gonna be cold the whole time and just go t-shirts and short sleeves, jerseys. That's what I'm doing, Judah. What about the bottom half, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I mean, I'm short, shorts guy. Without any weather considerations, you are always shorts yeah. Guy. I can. I'm I'm the I'm the typical Oregonian that wears like a coat and shorts. Like I that that's a go to. You need the freedom. That's oh yeah. I mean. Look, I get. I'm I'm a, I'm a sweaty man. I will. I'll get sweaty no matter what I do. 
And so I need a little bit of air. If I go pants and coat, it's got to be like it's got to be like freezing outside, or else it's just like way too hot, and I'm just sweating so badly. Like I don't know. Last time you wore pants. Oh man, uh, wedding day. <laughs> yeah, twenty fourteen. <laughs> no, I I wore uh, I pants. Listen, twenty fourteen. I went to Blazer Media Day. I had to wear jeans that day. Like, are we talking real pants, like jeans, or like... Uh, we'll go, let's go slacks. Because I wear joggers, you know? Those are sweats. Those are sweatpants. Yeah. Like, that's comfort. I would say the last time I wore nice pants was uh, my brother's wedding last summer. It's, that, a, good, it's a good streak. Yeah, it's probably... It's about a year. You know, it's pretty good. It's in the contract. Yeah. Once a year, bust out the actual I was, pants. I actually was really worried when I came here. I was like, do I have to wear pants? I kid you not, for, the, for our listeners, part of the interview process... Uh, we had hey Steven, any questions for us? He's like, Do I have to wear pants? I legit said like, that. it was over Zoom, so I was like, stand up right now so I know that you're Prove it. wearing something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, having said that, let's uh head to the big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, in my humble opinion. College video games are better than the pro games. I loved college hoops, video games, 2K8 with Greg Oden on it, one of my favorite games of all time. I love NCAA Football 14. That's the last game that's been made college football. Now it was officially announced that, N- that EA was bringing back college NCAA football after a 10-year hiatus, but now because of NIL, it may not be happening according to Darren Ravel of the Action Network. Uh, a group called the College Football Player- Players Association publicly revolted against a supposed offer from one team partners that reportedly offered $500 per player for their likeness. And that's it. Just a flat fee of $500. They said, no way you can't opt into that with no royalties. They said one team partners was formed by NFL and major league baseball player unions. They've never done a deal with flat fees with no royalties for their players. So why should college athletes do it as well? So now there's uh, some questions on if this game will come back out in 2024, which is supposed to. That was the next game when it's supposed to come out, according to EA Sports. Now, it's not official that it's not going to, not official that it's going to, but hopefully it comes back because, man, that game is fun. I love recruiting. Um, I love just doing that. I've won you know national titles with Indiana or UL Lafayette. I need to get back to that. I need to get back to that. You know, I, I just love the college football of the game. It's a lot of fun, and I uh, can relive, relive some days of hoping to be uh, recruited. All right, take a break here. Uh, coming up next, hour two, Punch It Audio, Victor Wimbledon, Britney Spears, a lot. BFD. Hour number two, Stephen Von Judah Nubian in for John Kenzano on the bald face truth statewide throughout the entire state of Oregon. We talked about Damian Lillard a lot in the first hour, and the Portland Trailblazers just, oh man, just reliving some of the days when they made the Western Conference Finals and they had runs. It was good times. Now we don't know when it's going to be. It's going to be a big rebuild. Portland, of course, they uh, they matched the offer sheet to Matisse Thibel, who signed a three-year, $33 million offer sheet with the Dallas Mavericks. Portland has already decided to match that, so Thibel will be back in Portland. Damian Lillard, him and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, they still say they want to be in Miami. According to Aaron Fentress, he talked to a Lillard's agent, Aaron Goodwin, said, quote, I had a positive conversation with Joe Cronin. This is Aaron Goodwin. And I made it clear that Damon would want them to sit down and have a meaningful negotiation with Miami. And I think that's something Joe and the Blazers will do, end quote. So Aaron Goodwin, Dame, still standing strong on they want to go to Miami. They don't want to go anywhere else. I'm still calling his bluff on this. If I'm Portland or Joe Cronin, I think. 
Dame's not going to sit out if he goes somewhere else, whether it's Boston, whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's Utah. I don't think the Spurs, the Spurs are a dark horse as well. I don't think Dame sits out because it's not the team he wants to go to. He, he's just not that type of person. You know, we, we've seen he's a different breed. He's going to play, but you know, the Blazers are doing what they have to do. Dame and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, doing what they have to do. Both digging in. I think we are in uh, the first quarter, basically, of this long trade request that could go even longer all the way into the regular season if maybe even if that could happen that could happen where Dame's back with uh, the Portland Trailblazers game one he's on the Blazers roster but we shall see as that story will continue to unfold throughout the summertime but as we do we go and we search the internet for some great audio clips and we find them we play them it's called punch it audio let's hit it we interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. All right, now I don't have, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jaguars fan, kind of. Like, that's, if I had to pick my NFL team, that's my team. So I was really interested to hear Lewis Riddick when he talks about who could be a surprise team in the AFC. And he says the Jacksonville Jaguars because they got dudes. So he was on the Rich Eisen show earlier talking about the Jaguars. Could be a surprise team. Lewis Riddick, punch it. Jacksonville, for sure, for sure is the team. And the South going to be better overall. Okay. But Jacksonville has got dudes, man. And Doug Peterson is a fantastic coach. Their defensive coordinator, Mike Caldwell, is going to be an up-and-coming, under-the-radar head coaching candidate who's going to get some interviews this year. Calvin Ridley, what Calvin Ridley's going to do for Trevor Lawrence and what Trevor's going to do for Calvin Ridley, Calvin's going to burst back onto the scene as being that guy who, when he left, before he left and was suspended, I thought was the best route runner in the NFL. I do think that's the interesting part he talked about at the end with Calvin Ridley. I mean... The Jaguars trade for him because of the gambling stuff. He missed the year, but he's still only 28 years old. Like when he played with the Falcons, he was really good. Um, you know, he had in 2020, he had a hundred or he had 90 catches, almost 1400 yards, nine touchdowns. I mean, he was a, uh, you know, he was an AP uh, second team all NFL. Like he, he was on the verge of being a superstar. The gambling thing kind of threw it off, but he's going to be there. They still got. Trevor Lawrence, obviously. They got Evan Ingram. They got Travis Etienne. They got some dudes on that offensive side of the ball. I love what Jacksonville's doing, but also at the same time, I hate when people start talking about it. I like to be under the radar with my teams. I don't want I don't want people hyping them up. So for that reason, I do think you know the Jaguars being the favorite in the AFC South, it does uh, scare me a little bit that everyone's so high on Jacksonville. But man, Judah, Jaguars got some dudes offensively and defensively. You know, first overall pick, Trayvon Walker's good. Devin Lloyd, former Utah Ute, he's really good on the defensive side. Jaguars got something going. Now, I will say this also. We talk about the importance of ownership and how I said it's a little overrated. You get the guy in there, and it's fine. Now, they got the right coaching staff as well, Doug Peterson, but Khan, the owner there, Shad Khan, I believe is his name, he was never thought of being a great owner, but is he great now because uh, he has Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson and Mike Caldwell and... Trayvon Walker and all these guys, is he just a great owner now, or is it just, you know, just luck because it's a little overrated? Maybe ownership doesn't matter as much. Well, I mean, the coaching hire is a huge piece of that. As an owner, you get judged a lot by the coaches you bring in and and maybe fire. So bringing in Doug Peterson, I think that you got to 
give it to Shad Khan. That was a good hire. But he's also the guy that brought in Urban Meyer. So it's, uh, we, we forget it's, that. Uh, it's a little bit of, of both. I will say I think Lawrence has a chance to take it to the next level and become unquestionably elite. MVP? Yeah, he could be in the conversation for sure in the same way that had Tua stayed healthy, maybe Tua was in the conversation. Um, you know, he's got that ceiling to him. And the Jaguars, it's a down division, yeah. you know, especially with Tennessee. Tennessee was in the driver's seat much of the year. The Jaguars got off to like a two and five start. Like people forget that it was a slow start for them. Lost big in Philadelphia, beat the Chargers on the road in a pretty big statement win, but they lost to Washington early, uh, lost to Detroit by a lot. You know, yeah. there was a lot of kind of blips on the radar for them before they finally righted the ship, won the division on the last week of the season, week 18, Saturday night to epic Tennessee game, game, yeah. that had Josh Dodds playing quarterback. So... You know, it's down division, but to their credit. And then they got down, you know, 31 zip to the Chargers and came back and beat them. Like, highly volatile year last year, but at the same time, if there's a little bit more stability and consistency, the Calvin Ridley edition, fascinated by that. I think, you know, he's still a really damn good player. I mean, he hasn't played for two years, basically. And, and he basically hasn't played for two years. So I'm really excited to see that, and I agree with Lewis Riddick. Like, they should be the favorites in the South without question, and... Look, they they gave the Chiefs all they could handle for, you know, about 55 minutes of that game last year. And Mahomes got hurt, obviously. But still, I think the Jaguars are a team you have to take seriously this year. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, You talk about that wild card game, Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence, Chargers, Jags. Uh, You look at the MVP odds, Justin Herbert, he's fifth in the NFL, plus 1,300. Trevor Lawrence, right after him, plus 1,400. Who who would you take? If you're building a franchise, who would you take? Eugene... Oregon's Justin Herbert or uh, the long-haired Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson? You know, I – that is a really tough question I'm taking. To I'm taking Trevor. Part of me wants to take – well, I, I'll take Herbert then because of Kellen Moore being there. Yeah. It's a huge thing. I mean, think about the offensive coordinator instability Herbert's had since he's been in college. That, that's, a great, that's a great point. Yeah. Now from, like, health to Willie to Marcus Arroyo. My God. And, uh, you know, everything that, that's come after that. Was Joe Moore? I know Joe Moore didn't come until Herbert after. was gone. Herbert's I, last I year was 19. I wonder if the Chargers so. somewhat struggle. Are they yeah. going to fire Brandon Staley and have even more coaching changes around Justin Herbert? Well, you, you hope not. And, look, I'm, I'm, there's some guys in sports that don't have great re- reputations, but for whatever reason you think you believe in them. Brandon Staley is one of those guys for me. Yeah. He doesn't have a great reputation. I love Brandon Staley, and I, I'm rooting like crazy for him cancer survivor love his philosophy love his outlook on life i really love his scheme even though they've been banged up on defense every single year so that's part of it but at the same time i'm fascinated to see how kellen moore gets the most out of justin herbert for a minute there he had shane steichen you know his rookie year and we saw what shane did with jalen hurts and now what shane's going to do with anthony richardson in indianapolis but once shane left and it just hasn't been the same when they brought in Joe Lombardi from New Orleans. And Joe is just, he doesn't inspire you in any way, shape, or form. And by the way, Justin Herbert should not be in a Drew Brees offense. Okay? This guy needs to get back and launch the crap out of the football. And hopefully, Kellen Moore can get that out of him a little bit. I agree with you. Uh, I like Brandon Staley. I, I don't I don't even question a lot of his fourth down decisions. Like, I, I love the aggressiveness that he goes for it. Like, I'm, I'm an analytics guy. And a lot of the analysts will say, go for it in these situations. I'm fine with it. I don't doubt it. Um, but I will question playing Mike Williams in a meaningless game in week 18 in Denver and him getting hurt. And then you don't have him in Jacksonville. I can question that as I well. I question that. That is a bad decision. Even though that was also Tom Telesco and ownership. 
Because they were all on the same page and given that. That was not Staley going rogue. They all said that that was the best thing. And I was like, what? No, I just talked about <laughs> Shad Khan being a bad owner. Uh, charges ownership, always bad. Yeah. It's always um, a big question mark. Speaking of Oregon State, we just talked about Oregon. Now we go Oregon State. Stephen Kwan, he was talking to Ben Verlander on uh, on his podcast, talking about how him and Adley, they finished 2-3 and three in the Rookie of the Year last year, right behind Julio Rodriguez. But Kwan says a lot of the a lot of the praise should go to Oregon State. Punch it. Yeah, it was really cool. I think it speaks any, more than anything about Oregon State and kind of the culture that we grew up with. Um, I mean, those guys are my brothers forever. And just to show, just to put Oregon State on the map in that kind of aspect, I think was really cool and kind of gave some love to Pat Casey, our head coach. Um, it obviously took a, a whole village to get me and Allie to where we were. So I hope everybody at uh, over at Oregon State feels that same pride that we felt about that. Yeah, I mean, Oregon State... Just everything they do at that program seems to uh, seems to work out. Stephen Kwan had a nice rookie year. He has having a nice second year with the Guardians, uh, batting two seventy. Kind of a throwback player, you know. Doesn't necessarily take a ton of walks. Doesn't strike out ever. Like you know, he doesn't really strike out. He likes to make contact, put the ball in play. Old school baseball. That's what Pat Casey was doing with Oregon State. And now you look at Adley Rutschman, obviously one of the best players in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, Going to be in the home run derby. Going to be the All Star game up in Seattle. So. Uh, just, you know, Stephen Kwan giving a quick shout out to him and Adley, what they do at Oregon State. It's awesome, man. You know, in the draft these days, so often it's like high school guys. That's the weird thing about baseball. It's like you get drafted out of high school and you go, or you don't get drafted out of high school and you play three years of college. So a lot of the best baseball players don't even make it to college because they're already getting drafted out of high school. But the Beavers culture thing, it's real. It's it's uh, it's there. I'm fascinated by the pro prospects in baseball and football that the Beavers will start to churn out on a pretty regular basis. Uh, you could argue that they've got better pro uh, prospects in both sports combined than Oregon does. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the thing. You know, I, I'm always fascinated by, hey, Beavers, do they not have the team success that Oregon does, but they, do they put out the better pro prospects? I mean, when was the last time Oregon had a receiver like Brandon Cooks or Marcus Wheaton? You know? Could be Troy Franklin. And, and you know, we'll, we'll see. But... Well- you know, Beavers had a guy that won the Blitnikoff and yeah. is one of the more productive receivers over a 10-year span in football. Well, speaking of talent and football, Spencer McLaughlin, a uh, friend of this show, locked on Pac-12 podcast, talking about the BCR, which is the blue chip ratio. Since 2011, since college football playoffs started, you have to have above 50% of your players be a four or five star on your roster. Pac-12 has two of them this year. Can you name them? Spencer, punch it. According to history since 2011, when the Pac-12 was formed and they added Utah and Colorado, there has not been a single national champion that has had lower than 51% of its players that were four- and five-star recruits coming out of high school. school. Now, this is slightly more complicated to deal with because of the transfer portal. Do you grade kids based on how they grade in the portal or how they graded coming out of high school? Kind of hard to say, but bottom line here is that according two said metrics which have been accurate for the last what is it uh, 13 national champions now there are only two schools in the pac-12 that can win a national championship or at least have a chance to be in the conversation there oregon and usc oregon's blue chip ratio is the highest of any in the pac-12 it's 67 percent usc is next at 52 percent is that interesting to you at all that oregon and usc are the only two teams in the conference with above 50 percent Four and five stars in Oregon, way ahead of everybody. 67% USC added at number two at 52%, just above that threshold. I mean, what he's saying there and what we talked about yesterday for a little bit, Judah, how the Action Network had Oregon as, what, the top five team in the nation, power ratings-wise? 
are we sleeping a little bit on the Ducks still? Like, I mean, I I, I think the Ducks are going to have a nice season, but I mean, talent-wise, quarterback-wise, they, they got a lot coming back to this roster. A lot of talent. Dare, dare I many, say, dare I say college football playoff this year for Oregon Ducks? Well, yeah, and that, that metric was champions, right? Not just playoffs. That was champions, appearance. yes. Yeah. You have to, every champion since 2011 has had above 50% four and five stars. So, you know, I think USC still has a slightly better chance to win at all than Oregon does this year because of the, the offense and the quarterback, uh, if the quarterback stays healthy. But at the same time, you know, the I don't know. How many champions have there been that have been second-year head coaches? You know, I don't know. Kirby was there a few years before he actually broke through in 1-1. Uh, and obviously he lost Alabama first. You know, Orgeron? Dabo had been there for a while. How long had Orgeron been at Orgeron is probably, yeah, right there. I, I think he had only been there maybe a year or two before they actually won that... the thing. But that's kind of an outlier as well. That's the best offense in the history of the yeah, sport. Yeah, you got Joe Burrow, Jamar. That's the best team ever. I mean, think of all those dudes off that squad. 15-0. I mean, oh, man. I don't know. It just, it's a lot been... of four and five stars, that's for sure. It, I think it's just interesting. I, I you know, I... We question Dan Lanning's coaching ability because he hasn't necessarily proven like he's a great on-field coach, great recruiter. And I think that number, what Spencer is saying right there, great indication of what he does on the recruiting trail. But can he actually coach it? I, I want to, you know, I want to think the Ducks have a legitimate chance to make the college football playoff this year. But as we've seen before, it's not all about talent just to win the Pac-12. Utah's yeah. back-to-back champions. They're nowhere close to 50% on their blue chip ratio. Oregon State has a legitimate chance to be right there. They're not close to 50%. I don't want to say the Ducks are, you know, should be the favorite in the Pac-12. I think USC is right. I think you're right. USC should be the favorite, but if the Ducks go 11 and 1, I think it's very possible this season. Like that, that's the way yeah. that's the way it's looking out. Like it's not just Bo Nix, it's everything else around him. They got dudes everywhere. Yeah, and the player development side of it year over year is a big piece, but I also wonder if this metric is going to hold its water in as the transfer portal era keeps maturing year over year over year yeah. because it's less four and five star guys that you're signing at a high school and more. How do you perform in the portal? You know, look at the QBs at every single contender outside of Utah, all portal guys. So, well, Cam Rising is a transfer too. <laughs> that's true. He actually came back from yeah. Tech. He's just been there forever. So yeah. I forget about him, but yeah, they're all, they're all portal, portal guys or transfer guys one way or the other. That to me matters more, especially at that position than the four and five star guys you're getting out of high school. Mark Spears, NBA on ESPN. Uh, Judy, you remember this NBA draft? It seems so long ago, but it was, uh, who are the Blazers going to get? Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson? That was the question. <laughs> Brandon Miller, I don't know if you've been paying attention. It's NBA Summer League. He uh, struggled in his first two games. His last game, six points, only four shots in the game, four rebounds, seven assists, four turnovers, eight fouls for Brandon Miller, the number two pick. Is it already time to worry about it, Mark Spears? Punch it. Well, they're optimistic. I've been texting with Marlon Garnett, their summer league head coach. He loves his basketball IQ and his ability to score. But, hey, man, the young fella got to be more aggressive. This is summer league. Uh, Matt Barnes said it best. I'd rather him shoot 30 times and make two than shoot two. Uh, so, you know, Brandon Miller um, needs to be more aggressive. Marlon Garnett said that after the first game. And I expect with Steve Clifford being on the road with the team, him pushing him in Las Vegas to be more aggressive offensively. That's why they got him. And that's what Summer League is for, is to work out all the kinks. And uh, he has to get out of that corner, move around, get the point guards to throw him the ball. But I expect him to be a different player in Vegas. I agree that we shouldn't be worried about him, but I disagree in Matt Barnes' statement that he should, he'd rather see him take 30 shots and make two. That is not what you want to see. 
I don't mind that he's two for four shooting, whatever. I've watched some of the games. He has showed some NBA skills. He's got an NBA body. He's uh, made some plays at the basket, but he is what I kind of thought he was. Like, a good player, never going to be the star. He doesn't have that star talent that we all think Scoop Henderson has. Now, it'll be interesting to see if Scoop comes out and he goes, you know, two for 12 in his first summer league game. Are we going to all worry about it? No, we're not. I think Brandon Miller has the potential to be a really good player, but I don't think he has an all-star potential, and I think it's showing in summer league. But like again, as I said yesterday, there's things to look for in summer league. Don't you know? Don't don't draw conclusions from two summer league games. I think it's pretty silly that they're even talking about it. But uh, Brandon Miller has been struggling. He's well, been not good. I did say it yesterday. I feel like if you're going to be a star in this league in the NBA, you're going to be a star in summer league. I have a hard time seeing that you struggle in summer league and your ceiling is still being an all-star in the NBA. Like, and maybe I'm being short-sighted, but to me, you just keep it simple and it's eye test. Does it come easy to you or does it look like it's a bit of a grind? Or are you up in your own head a little bit, which kind of reveals your mental toughness? And I said that yesterday with Shaden Sharp. Like, I want to see him, if he's going to take jump shots, create space and get open jump shots. Don't. I don't want to see the contested ones going. I don't care about those. Against these guys, 50% of them aren't going to play an NBA regular season game. Get open. Get an open shot when you dribble. If you're making contested shots, awesome. Guess what? In the in the regular season, you're not going to get those shots off. Those guys are too good. So I'm with you. Like, there is a thing where you can just say, all right, this guy can play. Brandon Miller can obviously play. But does he have that star power? I don't know, man. I don't know. Finally beat Michael Jordan in something. Finally. Well, he's out. He's on his way out, too. But that- I think he was on his way out. I also think it was his call. The draft pick. Yeah. It felt to me like he wanted Brandon Miller. I tell you what, it felt like a win on draft night when Scoot fell to number three. After two games, I'm feeling good. Scoot fell to three. Yeah, don't just don't check in with the Charlotte Hornet mascot. Oh, God, that's that's a great video. Uh, all right, last one. Brian, Brian Windhorst, ESPN. We uh, listened to him talk about Nurkic being put in a trade earlier, but the, the Heat may have to get three, four, maybe five teams involved for a trade with Damian Lillard to get some assets. But you know what? Brian Windhorst goes through the history of the Heat. They're not afraid to make these big moves, and they've gotten teams involved before. Punch it. 2005, Andy Ellisberg and Pat Riley did a five-team, 13-player deal, the biggest trade in NBA history, to get three rotation players that led them to winning a title the next year. 2010, obviously the LeBron Bosch year. Four years ago, five years ago, Jimmy Butler, they did a four-team sign-and-trade, which is one of the most complicated deals you'll ever see. These guys know how to do big trades. They're working on it, but it's a lot to digest. I know we're coming back every day going, what's going on? What's going on? Well, they're trying to find ways to move all these giant pieces around. If Dame Lillard happens, you could be looking at a three or four, maybe even a five-team trade. And this is what we've been saying, Judah. We've been saying it the whole time. We've been right on this. Like, the Trailblazers, they're going to do their best to get them to Miami. But it's kind of in Miami's court to get other teams involved. I don't think the Trailblazers have to be the ones actively looking to get a third, fourth, fifth team involved in this trade. That's the Heat's job. That's what they need to do. If they want Dame so bad, they need to get them involved. Joe Cronin is sent back, taking offers, exploring other teams, one for one, because he may get better players. You got to get the best deal possible. And that's why I think this may bleed into the regular season, which would be so awkward for Blazer fans and Dame. But if the Heat are to get this done, they're going to have to get at least one other team involved, maybe even two teams. But I will say, if any team can do it, it's going to be Pat Riley and the Miami Heat. I don't put anything past those guys. They know who they like with their Heat culture. They know who they target. They can get things done. Yeah, and uh, this is going to be fun because now you get to network with a whole bunch of teams who's got various amount of appetites, needs, cap, flexibility. You know, we had a caller who called in yesterday and said, hey, now's the time to reach out to Zion. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? The week of the draft? 
but then I started thinking about it. I'm like, wait a second. Like, are there variations of this where Portland lands maybe some draft picks, but also lands another young superstar? Like, is that even too crazy to think about if this if this trade is going to become a three, four, maybe a five team trade? Think about how many different moving parts would be would be in that. We could have a lot of different players and a lot of different draft picks and potentially a new team like New Orleans that was like, hey, we wanted to move on from Zion before the draft. Who knows? If this trade gets big enough, maybe there's opportunity to still move Zion after the draft. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, uh, that's punch and audio for the day. Um, I, I think you're right on that. Like, We don't know what teams are going to be involved. There's going to be teams that pop out of nowhere. And in the NBA, I was told this, as soon as something gets reported, it's kind of dead. Like they, you know, they want these things to be reported. They like to keep things in house. So it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if anything happens again. I go back to today, Chris Duarte, not a great player, but there has been no rumors that he's been on the trade block. I think if there's rumors, all these fans would be like, yeah, love to get him as a role player. He goes for two second round picks. KJ Martin went to the Clippers for two second round picks from the Houston Rockets. There's a lot of things like that that happened in the NBA. I think there's going to be a team that could come out of nowhere and make a trade for Damian Lillard. I think of one other, uh, my last point on this is an important date, July 31st. That is the day that Jaime Hawkins Jr. traded by the Miami Heat. Um, that's when his uh, his contract would go into play. That's when he can officially be traded. I think at that point, like that might be the day. Like, okay, because if the Heat are going to be traded for Damian Lillard, I think Hawkins could be involved because he is a really he's a good young prospect who has you know potential to be a role player in the NBA. I think that's kind of a thing where that could be a holdup. Like right right when that happens, that's when the trade could be announced. Maybe he goes to Portland, maybe he goes somewhere else. But I think he's one of their He's one of the more valuable young assets that the Heat have in Jaime Hawkins. So I think that's an important date uh, just to recognize July 31st, that that's when he can officially be traded. Uh, but this is, you know, this is the first quarter of the Damian Lillard sweepstakes, and I'm here for it. I'm ready for it. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, Victor Wimbanyama, we talked about the NBA draft. He went number one. He's in Vegas getting ready for the NBA Summer League. But you know what? His security getting ready for their life, too. I got a story of Victor that's pretty crazy. We'll talk about it next on the BFT. I think most of us have been in a situation where we see a celebrity or we see a professional athlete, college athlete, and we're like, man, I'd love to get a picture with them. But we're also not Britney Spears. So in Las Vegas, Victor Wimbanyama is getting ready for NBA Summer League with San Antonio Spurs, getting his NBA debut on. He was at the Aria at Catch Restaurant and Britney Spears, you know, the famous singer, she sees him and says, man, I, I want to get my picture with Victor Wimbanyama. I'm a big, big fan. Well, you know what? She reaches up and she gets into the middle of everybody. And Victor Wimbanyama's security gives her a slap to the face and knocks her sunglasses off. Brittany was not happy, obviously. There's pictures out there on TMZ. Um, this uh, this soundbite is from a man named Brian Grahalis. This was an interview on TMZ that he did. He was there. He witnessed the whole thing happen going down. Uh, Brian Grahalis details what happens between Victor Wimbanyama security and Britney Spears at ARIA. So she was approaching him and using, like, like I said, a British accent saying, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir. And I guess trying to get his attention for a, possibly a picture. But when she walked, when they walked right into the catch restaurant, that's when she leaned in, sort of got her way into uh, the circle and started to put her hand on his uh, back shoulder or his back because he's pretty tall. So towards his back. And then that's when uh, the bodyguard just turned around, uh, slapped her across the face, and knocked off her sunglasses. After the slap, what happened? Did Victor walk in the restaurant? What did Brittany do? Can you describe that? Yeah, he just, Victor walked right in, kept going, 
uh, a couple of people stayed behind sort of uh, to, I would say, check on her or, or maybe they didn't. I'm, I'm telling you, they didn't know. I'm guessing they didn't know it was Brittany. So just to restrain this person from getting any closer. Uh, and then that's when afterwards they sort of try to walk her out of the restaurant. She screamed and using a British accent. That's what she was using the whole time. This is in America. It was an angry tone. Okay. Why was she using a British accent? Do you know that, Judah? Because he's uh, he's not British. He's French. Oh, right? Like that, that's, that's a different thing. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy, uh, but I think that's different. Correct? It is. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, so she goes in with a British accent, just says, hey, you know, I want a picture. I'm just going to go up and, and touch Victor Wimbanyama, the number one pick. Like, we talk about, uh, you know, Damian Lillard. Is he going to play in game one with the Trailblazers? You say no because you don't want to get hurt. I can't have random people coming up and just grabbing Victor Wimbanyama, even if it is Britney Spears. No, especially if it's Britney Spears. I, so that, and then what is the part of, again, British accent? Don't know why, but... Afterwards, she's yelling, this is America? I mean, I... I, I was it, this was yesterday, so the day after the 4th of July, maybe she was just feeling patriotic, which is ironic, using the British accent. Like, I have no this, idea what she was thinking, but that sounds like Britney. Like, this is America. We never know when Britney's thinking. This is America as in, like, you know, you're not American. Man, you can't, you can't have be hitting me. Guessed, yeah, could you have guessed that we would have a headline that involves Britney Spears and Victor Wimanyama? No, that was not on the bingo card. Uh, In July of 2023? Like, what is happening right now? Yeah, uh, there there are pictures uh, showing the security guard's hand, like, push Britney's hand away from Victor Wimanyama, uh, but no, no real picture of him actually slapping her. But according to... Um, Brian Grahalis, he did slap her indeed. Now they went on and asked him more. Like they asked him, was it actually his hand that slapped her or was it like he slapped Brittany's hand in her face? No, he said that it was actually the security guard's hand that slapped her and it was really loud. Like it was a good, good slap that he got in on her so much so that it knocked her glasses off. She didn't fall to the ground though. She just kind of hunched over. Um, but yeah, uh, law enforcement, they told TMZ that the man's name is Damian Smith. He's the director of team security for the San Antonio Spurs um, but according to TMZ, it says it's not being handled as a criminal matter because cops determined Smith was not trying to hurt Britney, but rather defend Victor Wimbanyama from Britney Spears. Now, that's another question. Does Victor Wimbanyama, the seven foot four monster, does he need protection from Britney Spears? That, I mean, if he can't handle Britney Spears, how is he going to handle <laughs> Steven Adams on the post? He's not gonna. It's a different kind of crazy, but you are right. If he didn't, if the security guy was not trying to hurt Britney Spears, he probably didn't slap her. Because slapping to me would be indicative of you're trying to hurt somebody. You're not trying to just defend Victor. But at the same time, hey, maybe he's just a Britney Spears fan and he was doing his best, like, hit me, baby, one more time. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he loves Britney Spears. Great song. You know, something like that. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, allegedly assaulted on Wednesday night in Vegas uh, by the director of team security for the Spurs. I will say, you got to give up to the Spurs. Like, oops, he did it again. I mean, the Spurs, 
Hey, they got the first pick in the draft. They drafted uh, Tim Duncan. They're, they did it again. They got Wimbanyama. <laughs> they, they They're going to protect it. They got to protect that asset, Judah. Oops. I know. That is a wild. It's a wild story. It's that, a wild story. Man, I would have believed if Tim Duncan slapped Britney Spears in 99. But I will say this. Also, not Wemby slapping Britney in 2023. I, like My mind's blown. So NBA Summer League, you know, a lot of NBA fans do go to Summer League. And I've been there in Vegas during Summer League. I didn't go to the games because I... I honestly just didn't care to go. Like I'm in Vegas. I want to just relax and hang out and do things. But you do see NBA guys all around. Like if you go to the Aria, like he's at the Aria. It's a very nice hotel in Vegas. You're going to see guys. Uh, Caesars Palace is like the place for NBA guys to go. Like, you know, I, you know, there's always rumblings when I was there, like LeBron's at Caesars Palace. Oh, should we go there and look? It's like, no, I don't care. Like it doesn't matter to me, but you will see a lot of celebrities. So I like, I want to think that they, someone would have noticed Britney Spears before. Like, this is the part that doesn't make sense. I feel like I would notice it was Britney Spears before she goes in and gets in between everybody. Am I wrong on that, Judah? Like, well, that's, that's the thing. It's been forever since she's been relevant. So I don't really know. Is it? I thought she was pretty relevant still. Isn't she? Oh, I see. I, I don't know. I think, uh, I, I mean, I know she's kind of like always in the news in a way, but. Would the Spurs director of security recognize Britney Spears? That's true. It's the age, it's the age difference. Well, actually, how old is the Spurs director of security? I didn't do that. Yeah, I need to look into that. Does Victor Wimbanyama know who Britney Spears is? Damian Smith. I mean, I have a hard time thinking that he recognized her. But at the same time, would like would you recognize Britney Spears? I feel like I would. I feel like I would. Like even in Vegas. I mean, because. I can't imagine Britney's just walking around just by herself in Las Vegas. Like she no, has that's to, not happening. Like she has an entourage. You see the entourage and you look and you're like, oh, who is that? Oh, that's Britney Spears. Like I remember seeing, now this is different, obviously. We saw Shaq there. Like he had a huge entourage, but then he's also a giant human. But you see the entourage, you're like, oh, who is that? And then you look around and you see who it is. Like I feel like there's got to be some type of entourage around Britney Spears where they would recognize or like Britney Spears people would go up to Wimbin Yama's security and be like, hey, can we get a picture for Instagram? Or as John would say, the IG or the TikTok. Like, can we do that? Like, let's let's have some type of uh, you know formal invitation rather than, hey, hey, security, I'm gonna go up there. I'm Britney Spears. I'm just gonna go up there and tap him on the shoulder. Like, I feel like there's some disconnect here. Yeah. How old is Britney Spears in your? Do you think Ooh. I've got it in front of me? I would guess. Uh, let's see. She's a little older than me. I would say 41. <laughs> That's exactly right. Thank you. Great job. I'm uh, yeah, because I'm 36. I mean, I remember Baby One More Time when it came out. I was in fifth grade. So that's like, you know, I imagine she's probably five or six years older than I am. So, yeah, there we go. I uh, I feel like I thought she was going to be older. I thought she was going to be in her, her 50s or something. By the way, one of her former husbands, apparently she was married to Jason Allen Alexander in 2004. George Costanza? That's exactly what I thought. So I just Googled him, <laughs> and it was not George Costanza. It was some other... Uh, tool. Now that would be. I, I was like, how in the world did George Costanza land Britney Spears? And it's not a Seinfeld sketch. That that would be a great. That would be a great episode of Seinfeld, though. <laughs> but I'm let down. And then it was uh, Kevin Federline for three years. Yeah, that was weird. I remember that. And then Sam Asgari. Uh, apparently they. He's 29. Sure. And uh, they're they're married. He's currently married to her. Uh, last year they got married. He's a 29-year-old uh, gentleman from Iran, and uh, he's a fitness trainer, and now he's married to 41-year-old Britney Spears. So according to uh, TMZ also, they so said— So she was trying to cheat on him with Wemby, apparently. Oof. I mean, it's Wemby Yama. I mean, you got to yeah. shoot your shot. He's, he's, right, a, he's a legend already. Right? 
Yeah, I mean, he's got the potential to be it. Come on, he's a guy. He's got. He's got that dog in him. The security <laughs> guard's got the dog in him. No, security guard definitely got that dog. Does Does Wimby he have the dog in bites. him? Bites. Uh, so apparently, uh, Brittany did compose herself though. Went to her table, and uh, TMZ was told the security guy came over to the table and apologized to Brittany. He said, "Quote: You understand how it is when you're being swarmed by fans." Um, and then uh, he said he also apologized. Brittany accepted it. Then it says, by the way, we're told he also said when he slapped her, he didn't know who she was. Which, I, again, yeah. which that makes sense. I mean, if you knew as Britney Spears, I imagine you wouldn't have slapped her. But I also think, why is Britney doing all the dirty work? Why is she going out there? I feel like she has a person that can say, hey, Victor Wimbanyama people, this is Britney Spears. She wants a picture. Exactly. You would think that, that that would happen. But Vegas brings out the worst in people, so you never know. I guess if she needs that person, I'm up for hire. Like, I'll be your, I'll be your really? guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll go out there. I'll be Brittany. You want to protect Brittany? No, I don't want to protect Brittany. I want to go out and introduce myself to the other security teams and say, hey, Brittany wants a picture. Okay. You just, so you're I'll just take just a slap guy. for her. I'll take a You'll slap. Take, if, someone, if someone is getting into Brittany's bubble, are you slapping them? No, I'm not slapping them. But I will. So you're not about that life. No, I'm not, not about that life. But I'll if go. If you I, throw hands with Damian Smith. See, I'll go tap Damian Smith on the shoulder. I'll say, hey, my my person, Brittany Spears, she wants a picture with Victor Wimpanyama. Can we get this done? Have you ever been in a fight? Not like a real one. Yeah. Just, ba- basketball court. No. Yeah, basketball fight. It goes down. On I, the court. I got sucker punched once. It sucks. It Right in the ear. I just turned around and said, what, what was that? But no, I've never, I don't think I've ever actually like punched somebody in the face. I'm a little nervous to do it. I, I have You're a softy though. You know? I, I am, I, but I have a but side. You, play, you have a crusty exterior, but. I have a side to me where interior. I will, like I would black out, I think. And I would just go nuts. I have that in me. And I know. That is true. And I'm scared of that. And I never want to see it, but right. I know it's there. Like if I have to defend my family like or Liam something. Liam Neeson type. Deep, deep, uh, deep, dark place. So I, in guess, you. I guess if I was Britney Spears security, I could handle it myself. But, yeah. I, you, you wouldn't know. care enough about Britney to have that. No, I don't. Come out. You're See, like, yeah. I'm getting, she literally wrote about it. I'm getting ready for my, my sons, for them. I'll be their security like, Oops, guards. Did it again. Handling their NIL deals. That would be pretty cool. I would like to see some. Yeah, you guys are going to you're going to be fine. Larry Miller on, twi- on Twitter, uh, he asked, was this a Will Smith slap or just a tap? <laughs> the Will Smith slap. I st- The Will Smith slap. That was definitely real. I don't think there was anything fake about it. Is it? Is I'm, it I'm not. I'm are not you? Joking. Are you saying this is, this is a PR stunt by Britney Spears to get in the news? Ooh, I actually think there's probably more advantages to that than having this story be real for Britney. Yeah, yeah, she may have faked it. Because there's no. When was the last time you've th- thought about Britney Spears? Am I wrong? I don't think about Britney Spears. Oh, I no. don't. I don't want to answer that question. But <laughs> well, um, I don't want to set you up. Old for school Britney here. Spears. Old school. Well, she's not pretty, terrible. Pretty iconic. Not terrible. Um, pretty iconic. Yeah, because there's no, it's a no-win situation for Victor Wimbanyama. So there's no way he set it up. But do you think he's ever heard of her? No, no chance. No, was Brit- I mean he barely has heard of Taylor Swift probably because he's what nineteen twenty years old. So like when Britney was really hot, he wasn't even born yet. Exactly. Like that, and was she? It's like me knowing about Farrah Fawcett. Fawcett? Is it Fawcett? I thought it was Fawcett. Well, Fawcett. Exactly. I See, don't know. I, I might be wrong. Like I, I know of her. I've seen photos of her. But definitely not my demo. You know what I mean? I feel you. Marilyn Monroe. I We need to dig into this more. Maybe Britney did set it up. I think she may have. It's starting to make a lot more sense. The pieces. Brian She's Wynn- like, Brian, why, why, is, why, why would he do this? Why would she do this? <laughs> the Windhorst. Why would she do this? I don't it's, know. It's, she's tired of Ryan Seacrest getting all the headlines. She's like, man, how is fifty-year-old Ryan Seacrest getting all the headlines? I need to get in with Wimby here. I want to say steal some of the shine. I want to say Brittany has a show in Vegas. Like that's what she does down there. Oh, 
So she's not there just to see the basketball. Well, that would be pretty sweet. She's courtside. It's Vegas Summer League watching Scoot. You think Scoot? Would he recognize her? No. Oh, I don't my think, God. That's I don't think any oh, my the, God. I don't think any of the rookies know who Britney Spears is. I don't think it's... <laughs> it's not, that's not her market. Her market is like 36-year-old dudes like me and my wife. She loves Britney, too. By the way, welcome to the NBA, Victor. <laughs> what, wait, How's that for ushering you into the league? Everything... The, the spotlight on him is so big, like... It is a good wake-up call. Like, hey, you need to be careful what you're doing here. Yeah. Although like, I don't think... He like, should. he didn't do anything. Yeah. He literally just walked to a restaurant, and he's in the news now because his security guard slapped somebody. Like, he, you got you yeah. to be careful who you're hiring and everything. Brittany's not going to San Antonio. It's no. going to be worse on the road than it is in San Antonio. Maybe she becomes a diehard Spurs fan, though. You never she know. might. That'd be pretty sick. Parlay that into some pub for her. Her and Michelle Beadle sitting there together courtside. Hey, I wouldn't mind that. That's cool. All right, well, I'll, I'll watch some first games then. <laughs> Brittany Spears, Victor Wimbanyama, they're an item. No, <laughs> slap the slap her around the world since the Will Smith one. So we'll see yeah. in another six months who gets slapped, and we'll talk about that one as well. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about championships and how excited I would be, and then how sad I would be if the Blazers would never do it again. It's kind of a weird situation. Like, would you be content with it? With one? With two? How do you feel as a fan base? You would change. We'll talk about that coming up next on the Ball Face Truth. Ball Face Truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano today. Before we talk about uh, championships and things like that, because I do have some takes. I have Mike Florio had some interesting comments about Super Bowls and what it does for fans and coaches and players. Uh, we'll go ahead out of the phones. There's a caller and hold here. 503-417-7575. Chad in Iowa wants to talk about Britney Spears. Chad, what's going on, man? Hey, so uh, it's funny. Britney actually has residency in uh, Vegas until I think the end of the year. So she's like, still doing shows and whatnot. So she should have been totally known. Um, so for her to have been, you know, backslapped like that, I, I think it's kind, of, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of not. But, like, you got to know when you're in Vegas that Britney Spears could be around. Yeah, thanks for calling in, Chad. And I agree. That's what I'm saying, Judah. Like, how, how did uh, Victor's people not understand that was Britney Spears. Yeah, I mean... She's recognizable. Yeah, depending on... Well, I guess she is pretty recognizable. But, I mean, she had glasses on too, right? So yeah, maybe she did. That, you know how glasses can change a person's face. That is true. That's a great point there, too, because her glasses got knocked off. So That's how hard the slap was. Also, just like, I don't know. If, if you're in Vegas, you should know that Britney Spears is around somewhere. That's it, a great line from Chad. It also... In Vegas is maybe the worst spot to be like just a person go up and grab someone's shoulder. Like that's one of the worst yeah, spots. Yeah, because she like I mean you don't everyone, know what's going on. There's, everyone's cray. Yeah. Everyone's crazy. That is a great way to put it. Everyone is cray. Whether you're known or not, you are. On, everyone's cray. You're probably on some on something. Um. All right, Judah. I want to talk about this real quick. The Trailblazers. All I've ever said is I want them to win a championship. I just want one. I just want to take my kids to the parade, have some fun. And uh, do my thing, celebrate. But Mike Florio was talking today. He has this. Uh, he was talking about the Super Bowls and how when the Eagles won their Super Bowl with Nick Foles, it completely changed their fan base. And he talked about the Minnesota Vikings. And if they win a Super Bowl, they would probably put their coach on a lifetime contract because they never won one before. But how would I feel? So this is Mike Florio talking about just how 
championships can change a culture, can change the way you view a team. Uh, it's very interesting. It's easy to say if you don't have a Super Bowl win that all we need is one, and then who cares? You still have a business to run. You still have a stadium to fill. You can't just go 0-17 indefinitely. I mean, look at what's going on in Denver. They haven't been back to the playoffs since winning Super Bowl 50. And there's a lot of angst and turmoil and effort there to turn it around. You set a standard you want to live up to. It's always fascinating to me to raise that question of what comes next after you climb the mountain. For the players, for the organization, and for the fans, what comes next? Is it a big sigh of relief and then you're content to be 4-13 and 13 the next year? And that's my question. Like, I've always said I just want one and then I'd be okay, but would I be okay? Like, if Duck fans, if, if Oregon were to win a national championship in football, you know, that's the one thing that they haven't gotten yet. Is it just a sigh of relief and you don't care anymore? Or has it changed the, you know, the expectations every year where you have to win a title? You have to get the college football playoff. Because it was, you know, Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl bust. And then they won the Rose Bowl bunch. Now it's like, well, now they need to get to the playoff. If they were to win a title, is it play, is it win the national championship or nothing? Trailblazers, like, if they win a championship with Scoot and Shaden Sharp, am I cool with it? Like, think about the Kansas City Royals. They had a two-year run, right? Lost to the... Uh, Giants, Madison Bumgarner, and then beat the Mets. They've been irrelevant since that championship. Like, was it worth it for Royal fans? Are they pumped that they won their title like six years ago or whatever it was, seven years ago, and they haven't been relevant since? I thought it was an interesting, interesting take there by Florio. He's mentioned it with football. Like, he talked about it later to the Eagles. They won their championship. They want more. They weren't satisfied. And he talks about the Patriots, how now their expectations are so high that they haven't made the playoffs in four years, and people are getting mad want to fire Belichick. Well, you might be the best coach ever. I don't know, Judah. How how would you feel? Like you're you know, you're a Cardinal fan, you're a Seahawks fan, so you've you've seen some championships. That's the thing. You've seen championships. Did it change your expectations at all? Or like is it always just is it always kind of the same for you? It's an amazing topic. And you know, depending on what your market is, what the sport is, I think championships feel different in the NBA than they do in the NFL. Um, and certainly than they do in baseball. I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan. I was there for Game 7 of the 2011 World Series. David Freeze? Well, David Freeze was Game, was game six, 6 to force a Game 7. And then Freeze also added, added a uh, two-run double in Game 7. And uh, there's some drama going on with David Freeze as well yeah, in St. I, Louis. I've seen I that, yeah. It's pretty amazing. But we all knew that was Tony LaRusso's last game. And when you have an icon going out, you know, and then you win a title, and it was Albert's last game in a Cardinal uniform because he signed with the Angels that offseason. Yeah. There was a sense of finality about the year or potential finality about the year, and that makes a championship more meaningful. I'll juxtapose that with my Seahawks experience. The Seahawks are my number one team as a sports fan, mm -hmm. and you know they won in Russell's second year. Greatest day of my life outside of my kid being born and getting married. Arguable. Right. I will never forget the day that we kicked Manning's ass 43 to 8 and won a Super Bowl in New York City. Incredible. And yet, I look back on that era and it feels like there's meat left on the bone. Why? Because of the way in which they lost the next year's Super Bowl yeah. in Russell's third year. And you think about Russell, like, if he wins that game, if he scores, if he gets one more yard, 
Like, he goes into a stratosphere that very few quarterbacks have ever changes, gotten to. Changes history. And, uh, you know, it's prob- I think it's one of the greatest Super Bowls ever played, you know, just from a quality standpoint, back and forth, Super Bowl Forty Nine. And to come up on the losing side of that almost takes a little bit of the joy away from Super Bowl Forty Eight in a very weird way. And now all I want as a Seahawks fan is to get back to that moment and avenge Super Bowl Forty Nine. That's I, all I want now. I would love to hear from people on this. 503-417-7575. You want to time in and talk about what you would feel if your team won a championship. Because for me, I feel like one championship would be enough and I'd be satisfied. But at the same time, I don't know. I'd get that itch. I'd get the juice. Like, man, Blazers win one. Why can't they win another? I feel like I'd be satisfied, but at the same time, I I, I want more. So, yeah, call in 503-417-7575. Tell me how you would feel. And with that, we'll take a break. Uh, Coming up, we'll have the 5 at 5. We'll take your phone calls as well. Um, We got the BFT, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby, Ball Face Truth. Hour number three, the happy hour here on the Bald Face Truth. I am Stephen Vaughn. That is Judah Newby. We are filling in for John Canzano today as John is out. And it's a lovely Thursday. A lot of, lot of little bit of news. A lot of little news, if that makes sense. There's uh, some news, newsy things that have been out there. We've been touching on it. Dame trade rumors. Who could he go for? How many teams have to be involved? I mean, it could be up to five, according to Brian Windhorst, but I do think there's got to be at least a third team involved if he wants to go to Miami, which it sounds like he wants to go to Miami or bust right now. How, how much hardball is Dame and the Blazers going to play against one another? This could get... Uh, this could get uglier. I don't know how ugly it actually can get. I think it's going to be pretty civil. But I think these two are going to work together and try to help each other out. But I think it could be a long time. I think we're in quarter one of a four-quarter game between Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers on a trade if it does involve the Miami Heat. We also talked about Victor Wimbanyama and Britney Spears, the slap. Wimbanyama's security team slaps Britney Spears, knocks her glasses off. Man, a lot of slaps in the in the recent recent memory here. Will Smith. Now we got Wimbanyama staff slapping Britney Spears again. I don't understand how Britney Spears wasn't recognized, but apparently she wasn't. She gets slapped, knocked her glasses off. She's okay. Apparently accepted the apology. Everyone just wanted to keep Victor Wimbanyama safe. But as we do every day, Judah, we do the five biggest stories in all of the land. It's called the Five and Five. Let's do it. The Five and Five. All right, Judah, number one. Well, let me know if you uh, saw this story, Stephen, Uh, but there was a cameraman for the Yes Network that was doing his job, you know, filming some dramatic scenes between the Yankees and Baltimore Orioles where there was an errant throw from Orioles shortstop Gunnar Henderson to first baseman Ryan O'Hearn. And instead of O'Hearn catching it, it went up going into the camera well, and it smacked the camera operator right in the face and knocked him out. 17 minutes, medical personnel had to come and attend to this man. Uh, He ends up being okay. He is at home resting. His name is Pete Stendell of the Yes Network, but he did suffer an orbital fracture as a result of this. He's at home resting. He says that he and his family appreciate everyone's support. He was injured in the fifth inning, and uh, the game was delayed 17 minutes as he was attended to by medical personnel. It reminded me a little bit of Devontae Adams shoving the uh, NFL Network uh, camera up over in frustration on his way to the uh, to the locker room. That guy ended up suing Devontae Adams. 
You think the CS Network employee has any grounds to sue Gunnar Henderson for having a piss poor throw? <laughs> no. Cost him an orbital fracture? I don't think so, but I do think it could change the rules of baseball. You know, we, we've seen it where the Nets are, you know, brought up down the, down the foul lines. It could extend into the into the camera box. Like, it has to be a necessity. I, I will say I'm surprised that this stuff doesn't happen more often. Like, even in the NBA and the NFL, like, the cameras are so close to all the action on the field, on the court. Like, there are collisions all the time. Now, this one is worse because, obviously, it was a baseball being thrown, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour by a really good player. And it hits him right in the face. But, man, I don't think he has any grounds to sue. You know, it doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like he should. But at the same time, it's uh, one of those jobs that you're in the line of, line of fire there. I don't know, man. It's hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to say, like, you shouldn't sue. But at the same time, if I was in his shoes, maybe I would. I don't know, Jay. How do you feel about it? Would you, would you sue? I, I, would, I never would sue. No, I think suing's dumb. I'm about making that money. He got hit in the face. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it's not like... To it's, me, it's, it's like, not like get, out the, get out the way. It's not like Henderson meant... Well, you've got to get the shot. Of what? The ball coming at you? I don't know. <laughs> the ball. Henderson, Henderson didn't mean to. By the way, if you got to get the shot, you're not hoping for the Nets. The Nets are going to screw over cameras. Can't you, like, just make, like, like, the hole and you, like... Stick... <laughs> that didn't sound right, but... If you just take the hole and, like, open it a little bit... Yeah. And then shove, take, shove, shove the camera in there, and then take, what is this? Know, a colonoscopy? Take a, take a shot at it. Um, <laughs> all right, number two. <laughs> uh, number two, Brooks Kepka of uh, Live Golf fame. He is accusing one of his Live Liver teammates of quitting. Brooks Kepka has accused Live Golf teammate Matthew Wolf of quitting on the course telling Sports Illustrated that he has, quote, basically given up on him. Wolf uh, won his third start as a pro on the PGA Tour back in 2019. Then he jumped to live last year. He plays for the team that's name is Smash, and Kepka is the captain of Team Smash. You know, it's Team Golf in the, the live world. I was a big Smash fan. Yeah, Super Smash uh, Kepka. And, uh, but Kepka told Sports Illustrated that He's basically given up on Matthew Wolf, saying, I mean, when you quit on your round, you give up and stuff like that, that's not competing. I'm not a big fan of that. You don't work hard. It's very tough. Very tough to have to have even like a team dynamic when you've got one guy that won't work and one guy that's not going to give enough effort. I actually came away with a little bit more respect for Liv after this because it sounds like Brooks actually cares about winning and not just the bag. Which is weird. Yeah, that's that's unliver like. Yeah, it is. It's unliver like that you actually care about the golf. But I mean, he, he supposedly withdrew because of an injury. Like, what's he supposed to do? Do we not? Do we just not believe people now? Well, you, we all had that friend growing up that seemed to get hurt either a little too easily or a little too often. And use that as an excuse to get out of playing sports. And Matthew Wolf is that guy. I think Matthew Wolf might be that guy. It's probably a hangnail. I, I don't Do, know. Didn't we always have that friend? I definitely had those friends. I look. I'm pretty scrappy, and tackle football was like my favorite thing to do with my friends. There was no way I was not playing tackle football with my buddies. But there's some friends that were way bigger than me, and they, you know, they they had no interest in getting hurt. You know, they get hurt and then they're done. Now, I agree with you. There, I definitely was the guy that wanted to keep playing, wasn't going to get hurt. But this is team golf. Like you said, 
He was a uh, what? Smasher? He was a smash. He's a smash. Yeah. yeah, that's a terrible name. Terrible. Terrible name. But is Team Golf? Maybe he just wants to request a trade to a different team. Do we ever think about that? Like, what? You Great know, how? How would you go about it if you're a liver and you're trying to get traded to a new team? You're faking injuries. You're getting out of the round. You can't just you can't tank. If you tank a season, does that does that mean you get the first pick in the draft for your team? You don't want that. It's not how live works. Got to yeah, you got to you know fake injuries and get traded. He now he said he didn't want to. He said that's not the reason why. Well, he shook his head no. I don't know. I just the whole team golf thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. But you know, I'm a, I'm a live golf fan. I always are bet, you. I always bet on those guys to win the tournaments. Oh well, because you love Cam Smith. Yeah, he's got cool hair. And uh, Neiman, you love yourself, Joaquin well, yeah. Neiman. I mean, he's Chilean, of course. I'm, I'm a big Chilean fan. Um, I have a friend who's Chilean, so we always root for the Chilean guys. Chilean national soccer team, Joaquin Neiman. He's a liver. He's he's Chilean. So, yeah, I'm a, a big, big live guy, Cameron Smith, Joaquin Neiman. But, no, I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't get the team golf thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. It Outside seems, of Ryder seems, Cup. I love the Ryder Cup. Yeah. It seems like there's uh, more to this story rather than just – he left the round and Brooks Kepka is mad at him about it. Yeah. I feel Matthew like Wolf, the new Bryson DeChambeau. I feel like there's something personal between him and Kepka, but we'll yeah. find out later. All right, number three. Well, we mentioned it before, but Chris Duarte, former Oregon Duck great, goes from the Indiana Pacers to the Sacramento Kings in exchange for two second-round picks. The second-round picks Indy will receive are in 2028 via Dallas and Sacramento's 2030 second-round pick. Duarte, 13th overall in the 2021 NBA draft, made the all-rookie team, uh, averaging 13.1 points, which was sixth best among rookie competition. He had an ankle injury last season that limited limited him a bit, averaging eight points. What kind of pickup is this for the Sacramento Kings, who obviously didn't get Draymond. They were one of the teams rumored to possibly uh, get him, but they re-extended Demonis Sabonis, new contract around him. They got some other good guys, like obviously... Um, uh, Fox and Davion Mitchell and Keegan Murray playing well in Sacramento. What do you make of Duarte going into the mix? Yeah, they brought back uh, Harrison Barnes as well. They resigned yeah. him to a new deal. Uh, yeah, I think it's good. I, you know, it's one of those low risk maneuvers where you know two second round picks. I mean, yeah, you could hit you hit in the second round and maybe get someone better. But Chris Duarte, twenty six years old. Remember that when he came into the NBA, that was one knock was he was twenty four coming into the draft, like he was an older player already. But you know, he proved his rookie year he can play in the league. Fell out of favor a little bit with Rick Carlisle in that second year. You know, only averaged, uh, you know, like you said, eight points a game, 46 games. Got hurt. Only shot 37% from the field. Didn't really shoot the ball very well. I think it's a, uh, it's one of those pickups where it could turn out to be okay. You know, it's hard to find guys that are six foot six and athletic on the wing that you know care, right? And, and Chris Duarte, for all the things for him not being able to shoot the ball well last season, he does care. He's going to give effort on defense. I think it's a. Uh, it's a good, move, good little move by the Kings. Not going to change, you know, not going to make me think that they're going to be a tile contender because of it. But I think anytime you can add guys that are six foot six, 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 seven, six, eight, and put them on the wing that are legitimate wing players that play some defense, I think you go after those. And so you know, to get a former lottery pick after only two seasons for two second round picks for a team that does need defense, they were one of the worst teams in the NBA last season defensively, best team offensively, one of the worst defensively. They are trying to address that now. I think with Duarte, he's going to help a little bit. I think it's a good little pickup for Sacramento. I like what they're doing there. I like what they're doing in Sacramento. They're not going to go away. Like They're not going to be a one-year wonder. They may not be the three seed next year, but they're going to be competing for the playoffs. And that was something where last year, you know, we looked at the Kings and the Blazers like, oh, you know, Blazer fans thought they were way better than the Kings. 
the Kings are in a much better spot like to compete right now than Portland was last season and this season especially. I think Duarte helps a little bit that way. I just remember Duarte, his last year at Oregon, they ended up being a uh, maybe a seven seed, I think, at the tournament, and it was in uh, India, Indianapolis, right? Indiana, where the Beavers somehow got to the Elite Eight that tournament. And Oregon avoided VCU because VCU got COVID. They, could, yeah. they didn't even play them, so <clears throat> got a forfeit. And then they just smashed Iowa in that 7-2 game, Luke Garza. And Oregon was up and down the floor, and Duarte was clearly the best player on the floor. And I I mean, I know Pritchard was a little bit, you know, wasn't he a year after Duarte? Or was he, he was a year before Duarte, actually. Before me, yeah. So Duarte, I think, was the last true Oregon Duck that had that toughness, had that grit, had that day-in, day-out mentality, was the alpha leader. You know, they lost to USC and Evan Mobley and the Mobley brothers in the Sweet 16, and USC was just flat-out better than Oregon, unfortunately, in that matchup, but... At the same time, man, Oregon could really use another guy like a Chris Duarte, like that kind of a tough player on their roster. Yeah, I mean, he really did struggle, though, last season. I think that is it is a question like, yes, he belongs in the NBA on a roster, but is he good enough to play night in and night out? That He may not be, no. and I think we're going to find that out in Sacramento. Like, they're a good team. They're competing. They're trying to win. You know, he was so bad at shooting the basketball last season. Was it because of the injury? Was it just because of the fit? I don't know, because this rookie year, he was really good. You know, he shot the ball really well as a rookie. Uh, you know, 37% from three. I think he's got some some potential to be a role player in the NBA, but we'll find out if he can actually play on a contending team. I think it's one of those moves where it's it's not really a risk, and the it, the upside is good enough to take, you know, to spend two second-round picks on a guy like Chris Duarte for the Kings. Number four. Number four, ESPN's Jordan Reed uh, updated a mock draft for next year's NFL mock draft. How many quarterbacks do you think were included in his first round? Man. Uh, well, I mean, I know Caleb uh, Williams and Drake May. They will definitely be in it. I will go with, uh, let's go with uh, five. Three. Three. There was only one other quarterback besides Caleb Williams and Drake May. Who was that? In Jordan Reed's first round. And it was not Michael Penix Jr. It was not Bo Nix. It was Spencer Rattler. Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers, yeah. eighth overall to Washington in this mock draft. Do you think we're making too much of the quarterback talent going into the next uh, NFL draft, Stephen? Um, I don't think they're making enough of it. If there's only three in the first round, I, I think there should be more. Like we talked about Michael Penix. I, I'm still not sold on Michael Penix being a great NFL quarterback. I don't know what it is about him. There's just something about that guy. I just I don't fully trust. Maybe it's just the injury thing. I don't fully trust it, but I think he'd be a first-round pick. Like, the guy can slant. He can move around in the pocket. We saw when he gets protection, like, he, he can make every throw on the field. And I think that's very important. I just mentioned Spencer Rattler. Like, he was supposed to be the first overall pick a while ago. He had an okay year with South Carolina. South Carolina is supposed to be better this season with Shane Beamer as their coach. They're on the right trajectory. Maybe he has a big year. Maybe he sneaks in the first round. Maybe Bo is a Heisman candidate. He sneaks in the first round. Like, he's got tools. He's got all. The, he's got the arm. He's got the legs. I think there's a lot more quarterbacks, yeah, that may not be projected first-round picks now, but really could turn into one of those drafts where if you need a quarterback, you're trying to get into the first round. I think that I think that could be this year in college football. I what, really do. What about DJ? Again, another guy like <laughs> if DJ has a big year, Is there throw, a version of this. There's a version where DJ's what a first-round pick. Is there not? Tell you, man. 
He's got the tools. I mean, go back to that. Go back to his games at Clemson when he first played. Like he was unbelievable, and we thought, oh, this guy's for sure gonna be a first round pick, but the first overall pick. And now we're to like just throw him away because he had a couple bad seasons. I don't know. I just pro style offense at Oregon State. That's what I'm saying. Like you know, they modeled their they modeled their offense after the 49ers. If he's super successful. Why would you say well, we, can, you know, we can't count him out? I mean, if you took Trey Lance third, I mean, I, I don't know. Like he's got the he's got the same skills. If he as actually Trey Lance. cracks his ceiling, I think he's a first rounder. I mean, think Could about be. the Notre Dame. I can never get the Notre Dame game out of my head. As a freshman, he goes in the South Bend. He throws for four hundred thirty nine yards and two touchdowns. I just can't get it out of my head. Like well, they, they lost the game, yeah. but he was awesome. Like I, I and I again, I want to hold hold out hope for the Beavs. That he's awesome again. I can't trust it though because I've seen him play and it wasn't great the next couple seasons. But you always hold out hope for that one game like he had in South Bend. Like he can do it. He has it in him. And you talk about Trey Lance. He was picked third. Like how could that DJ, was how, all tools and, and it was all tools. He played one college game in two years. And DJ, I think DJ, he's going to show off that running ability, but he's not going to have to do it all the time. And I think that's what he wants, right? Like I think Clemson. Clemson wanted him to run more than he really wanted to. I think with this pro-style offense, he's going to have his legs be second, and it's going to show off his arm. He could have a big year. Like, how could he not be a first-round pick if he has a big year? He unfortunately played two games in South Bend, and the second one is what I, what I have trouble getting out of my head. That, then that's a great point. But to your point, it was a different offense when he filled in for Lawrence during the COVID year. Yeah, I mean, Travis Etienne was on that team. Yeah. I mean, they had, a, they had dudes. So I don't know. I, I, I think there's going to be more. If I had to bet, I'd bet over, over three and a half. Yeah. In the before quarterbacks in the first round, but so I disagree with that one. But I, I, I love it. I love NFL draft talk. Right, right number to five. Number five. Number to five. It's uh, it's the Dame stuff. The latest on Dame, of course. Woj had the piece this morning that uh, said this is the trade of Joe Cronin's NBA life. It doesn't have to go fast, but he's got to get it right. Uh, he said that Miami doesn't have enough, but Portland might just have to accept Miami's offer if that's the best that they get. But he also says that there should be a few teams in the mix to make it a three or a four team deal. Then Aaron Fentress uh, of the Oregonian got Aaron Goodwin on the record and said that he had a talk with Joe Cronin and said that the Blazers are going to have a meaningful negotiation with the Miami Heat. I mean, we've been pretty on this. Like, I, I think the Blazers, they want to trade Dame to Miami. I think if, if they had their choice, they would send it to Miami today. But Joe Cronin looks at that package that Miami has and says, it's not good. It's not that good. We need more. And I understand that there's going to be some questions about Dame's age, Dame's contract in a couple seasons, but you still can get valuable pieces for the future. If it's all, if the only player you're getting is Tyler Hero, he doesn't fit what the Blazers want right now, right? Like I think Tyler Hero is getting, he's getting run in the dirt a little bit, run in the mud a little bit right now. Like he's a really good player, 23 years old. He's one sixth man of the year. The guy can score 24 points a night and he can get you four or five assists a night and four or five rebounds. People are acting like this guy's a scrub. He's not a scrub, but at the same time, if you're Portland, you're building around Shaden Sharp. You're building around Scoot Henderson. You know what? They play at the same position as Tyler Hero. Do you really want to run back and go with three guards? And not to mention you have Anthony Simons, who's on the, you know, on the season ticket advertisement. Now you want to go with four guards. We've, we've seen this story with the Blazers going after all these guards. You can't trade Dame for another guard you got to get some size you got to get some younger players you don't need another established guard in the league if you're rebuilding so that's the problem with tyler hero if he was six foot eight sure go for it but he's six foot five it's a different story so i think cronin's playing this right i think dame's playing this right dame aaron goodwin they want to go to miami 
They're standing by that. They say, you know what? We're going to Miami or bust. We're not going to be happy if you go somewhere else. That's all you can do. I don't buy it. I think Dame's bluffing. If Dame goes to Boston, he goes to Philadelphia, he goes to Utah. I don't think he's going to sit out. But man, they're playing it right. I think Cronin's playing it right. And this is, you know, I'll keep harping on this. Dude, I think this is the first quarter of a four-quarter game. Like, this could really go the distance, maybe even into the regular season. Well, you know how lo- how much I like to talk about things in terms of quarters. Oh, it's a four-quarter. 16 quarters left in the season. That's all I do. I just break up my whole life in quarters, so. What quarter are you in in your life right now? Great question. Just turned 31. So you probably started so fourth. This- <laughs> Overtime. Uh, Some days it feels that way. I mean, you're probably you know middle of the every day's a blessing. Middle of the second quarter or start of the second quarter, I guess. You know. See, I wouldn't go by age. I would go by situation. <laughs> that's a that's a great point. Like you have you have a family now. You have a little girl. You're married. I would say you're just starting your second quarter. Like yeah. I would say for me, my kids are eight and four. I'm, Are you two I'm minute warning? Ha- yeah, I'm take two minute two minute warning in the second quarter. I'm approaching <laughs> halftime. When they get to like high school, maybe even junior high, maybe that's like halftime for me. You comfortable going no huddle? Yeah, please. I, is, I would I would love your to, life right I would now. love to hurry the process and get this going. <laughs> get this at the fourth quarter retirement. Retirement time. Although I you know <laughs> dirty little secret here at radio. Don't make a lot of money, but uh luckily my <laughs> wife as a uh, coach Vaughn, as a coach and a teacher at Central Catholic you know, private school. So I've already told her, I said, Hey, when you retire, can I retire too? And she said, yeah, she verbally agreed to it. I will mm. hold her to it. I've never forgotten that. I need to probably record her just so I know that for sure. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to retire. I'm ready for the sign, fourth quarter. Sign the offer sheet. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little farther down the game than you are. You're just starting the second quarter. Yeah. You, you know, you, you kicked off to start the kicked off, start the game. You're going to get the ball at halftime. That's true. I won the coin toss deferred. You made yeah, his, I'm, I'm setting. I'm setting up well for a second half uh, finish. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Yeah, says Pete Carroll. Oh man, that this Dame stuff. I do think man, this is the first quarter of this man. I, I again, and I mentioned this before. Jaime Hawkins Jr. on the Heat, one of their better young Which trade I gotta, assets. I gotta applaud you because you've been on the Hawkins thing. You wanted Portland to take him at 21. Yeah. I wrote that or pe- wherever they're 23. Second, 23. I, I wrote yeah. that piece like way before he was even mentioned to be. Like a first-round pick. And part of it was he's 22, he's seasoned, he's experienced, and he's just going to be a baller. Like, he'll know how to win, he'll know how to make the right plays. And I kid you not, I put on Twitter, two games in the Summer League, it's all Jaime Hawkes highlights, and I'm like, Vaughn was on to something with this guy. And and I will say... And he may end up coming here starting in August. I tell you what, I would love that. I would love it. I will say this also, I think that's what they're hoping to get with Chris Murray. Chris Murray is another older guy. He's 22. He'll be 23, I believe, when the season starts or right yeah. you know, at the start of the season. I, I don't, don't know much about Murray. I, I mean, can he create Murray? off the dribble like the Caucus can? I question. I question everything that Chris Murray can do in the NBA. In college, <laughs> in college, he was a good little player. Good little player. No, nothing bad. You know, 20 points, eight rebounds. But that was an Iowa team that their offense is always good. And... I didn't see him create that much. He's supposed to be a shooter. He shot 33.5% from three last year from college. Like, I don't know. That's a little questionable. Free throws. A lot of times people will say, well, look at his free throw percentage. That really shows how much of a good shooter he is. For his career, 70% free throw shooter. That's average. Like, I just don't know that he can shoot. Yeah, I don't know if he's a... From the free throw line? I don't know if he's a good enough shooter. I don't know if he has enough quickness. 
defensively, Iowa's never a good defensive team. Like, are we going to just say, okay, he's going to fill in and be a great defender because he's six foot eight. He has a good body. Like, I don't know. I, I just question every NBA skill he has. And I might be wrong. He may come out in summer league and be awesome. And I'm like, okay, I changed my mind. But I think that's what you're hoping to get out of him. But I think Hawkins was the guy for me. Like you look at these old veterans in college, like he's the guy that's going to be able to adjust his game rather than Chris Murray. But I'm holding out hope. I'm holding out hope. Now, Luckily for the Blazers, they uh, brought back Matisse Thibel. They won't have to play Chris Murray as much as a rookie this year. They'll be figured out. Murray will have less pressure on him. Thibel, I believe, will be in the starting lineup as they match the Mavericks three years, $33 million deal. Matisse Thibel, uh, third year will be a player option for Thibel, which I, you know, good for him. I think he got a couple extra million dollars. Portland had offered him, I imagine, eight to nine million is what I had kind of heard. So to go out and get 11 million per year, good for Matisse to get a couple extra mil. And that's what I would do as well, but not a surprise Portland brought him back. And I think he's, you know, part of the future, but he's also a trade chip that you could trade later on because he is so elite at one skill in the NBA. That's defense. Well, and credit to Matisse with that player option, because that's the kind of sneaky thing of it being a three-year match and not a four-year match. Like if it was the four-year match, you know, you're not going to be able to go to market again until you're 30. Yeah. He's 26. If he has two really solid years, then thinks he can make more than 11 and a half. He's going to market again at 28 years old. If he turns down this player option and wants to hit free agency. So that's a, that's a great point. I, I think mean, really nicely done by Matisse Tybel. You, you look at what he did in Portland last season. He shot almost 39% from three. If he goes two seasons and he's shooting 39% from three, like, yeah, he's probably going to decline. Yeah. He'll decline that player option. The new CBA, want that Jeremy Grant back. The new CBA <laughs> money will be involved with, great with the media deal. And he will go on and be another free agent. Yeah. And I think, you know, so it's a, it's a good, it's a win-win situation for Portland. They have to pay somebody the middle of the exception. I think Matisse Seibel is a perfect spot for that um, as well because the Blazers, well, they need some defense, and at least he gives effort on defense. So, again, I, I, I will go down to this, and I'll say this again, Jude. I said it earlier in the show. I think if you're Portland, it's not even about wins and losses this year. you got to try to you know sneak up to that top 20 in defense. I'm not even expecting a lot, but with the new guys in there, with Chauncey Billups, hopefully reaching the young players, hopefully they give some effort. I think top 20 is doable, like right around 20, 21, 22. I think that would be a good little starting point for the Trailblazers rebuild. And that's what I hope it's going to be. And I hope it starts uh, in summer league when we see Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson, hopefully give a little effort. That would be great. All right. Enough Blazer rant. I'll, I'll rant about the Blazers more later on in the show. I always, I can always rant about the Blazers. They never give me anything to be positive about. Well, I still got questions for you about the, if the Blazers ever won a title, what would that mean? Yeah. After. What does it look like after they win a title if that ever happens? Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about that a little bit more because I, I got more to add to that. Yeah, if your team wins a championship and you've because I've never experienced my team winning a championship, I don't know what it feels like. Would I be happy? Would I be content? Would I want more? I don't know. We'll talk about that a little bit more coming up next on the Ball Face Truth. I'm Stephen Vaughn. That's Judy Newby filling in for John Cazano. Ball Face Truth Radio Network. Ball Face Truth. Stephen Vaughn. Judy Newby filling in for John Canzano. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to touch back on it again. Judah mentioned, uh, you know, being a Cardinals fan and a Seahawks fan, how he felt after winning a championship. He said it kind of felt like a close because with the Cardinals, it was the last game for La Russa, last game for Pujols. So it was almost like an end of a chapter, right? We, we, we talked about the quarters. It was the end of a quarter for the St. Louis Cardinals there. I feel like for me, and I wasn't alive in 77. I was born in 1987, so I didn't witness that. I don't really have like a football team. Like I said, the Jaguars are probably my team. So they've never won a championship. I'm not really a duck or a beaver. Although I would lean beavers over ducks. 
They've obviously never won a uh, basketball or football championship. They won baseball, but I don't have you know the love like I have for basketball or baseball in that kind of sport. 1939, technically, the Webfoots won uh, the national title for all those old uh, Oregon heads out there. Well, I was, bo- before I was born. Uh, I was, I was born for that one. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, 1939. Yeah. Or 1931? 39. 39. 39. I think they beat Ohio State. Oh, the Ohio State. Get it right. Yeah. Um, Take that away. So okay, so the real team that I have an emotional attachment with is the Blazers. I will say this, though. Working for the Blazers... And then getting let go by the Blazers did hurt that a little bit. Like, I, I'm not the diehard, like, live and die with everything to do. That, that's not me. I do love the Blazers, though. And I've always said I just want the Blazers to win a championship so I can take my kids on Broadway, go to the parade, celebrate with them, have a memory with them. You know, because you know, my son, eight years old and four years old, they're getting into basketball, especially the eight-year-old. He loves sports, loves the Blazers. The four-year-old, he can recite a bunch of people's names. He You know, he loves basketball as well, but... You know, when the Blazers win a title, they'll be old enough to remember. It would just be just a fun memory, and I would love it. But it got me thinking. Mike Florio talked about this. Like everything changes when you win a championship. Fans change, players change, coaches change. How would I change? Would I be content? Because I always say I just want one. I just want one championship. So that would mean I'm content. But knowing myself, Judah, I would be getting the itch for another one. I, I think the I, you are right, though. It's different by sport. It's different by what is happening. Like, every situation is different. You talk about in St. Louis, you knew it was going to be LaRusse's last game. You knew it was going to be Poole's last game. I think if it was Damian Lillard, I think one would be okay. Like, if Dane was in Portland, he won the one. It's like, okay, he got it. Just like LeBron did at Cleveland. Cleveland's cool with it. He wanted one championship. He got it. Cleveland, this is for you. Like, if Dame had gotten that in Portland, got the one, yeah. and then never competed... I think I'd be okay, but now that Dame's gone, I think about it, and I think, okay, Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp, they're 26, 27 years old. Portland just wins a championship. How am I not thinking Portland's going to repeat? They better repeat. They better bring back some more guys to improve the roster so they can repeat next season. I, I, I it, it is different every situation, but I think I would change in the fact that now that I know it's doable and it could happen, I want it every year. It's weird because if they win a championship, with Scoot and Shaden, chances are one of those guys ascends to top five player in the league st- stature. Like super duper star, yeah. Think about the guys that have won, right? It's obviously been the Warriors with like historically good roster with Steph and, and Clay, Draymond, who they all drafted and all became great, and then obviously got one with KD as well. Uh, lost one with KD yeah. as well. For the Cleveland and Miamis of the world, it was they had LeBron. And obviously the big big three in Miami, and LeBron winning in Cleveland might be the closest thing to what Portland could do. But it would mean that one of those guys turns into a superstar of that caliber. Because, you know, Milwaukee wins, they had Gian- they have Giannis, right? Denver wins, they got Jokic. And those are all-time talents. All-time talents. So I think the hope would be you win one almost because you've got an all-time talent on your team. And if you have an all-time talent on your team at 26 years old, then I think it's reasonable to want another title because how often do you get an all-time talent? Right. And I and I agree with you. Like, I think that's the thing. It's like if Dane was still in Portland, it would be a little different. Like if Portland decided, yeah, we are going to trade the third pick in the draft and they ended up getting you know Jalen Brown or they somehow ended up getting Joel Embiid. He asked for a trade out. He's mad at James Harden, mad at Zero Mori. He says, I want out. And Portland somehow 
wrangles up a deal. They get Joel Embiid, and it's Joel Embiid and Dame. I think it'd be cool with just one. But you're right. Like, with it being Shaden Sharp, with it being Scoot Henderson being so young, I feel like if they are to ascend that level and they ever get to a championship-level team, I'm going to want more than one. And maybe, you know, I don't think that's selfish at all. I just think it's a different situation. You know, Dame has worked so hard and been such a big part of the community, big part of the franchise, that, like, yeah, it would be cool to get the one and we'd be okay. But I think now that, you know, he's gone, I think it's different. It's a different situation. And I'd be, you know, I'd want more. And I think that's okay. Like, I think if Duck fans, like, if Bo Nix were to win a championship this year, like, I know, I think it would change them to say, we should be in the championship game every year. We have the talent to compete with the SEC. We have the SEC coach and Dan Lanning. We have the roster. We should be competing every year. Probably for the playoff. Yeah. Right? Like, it would be a, it would be a disappointment if they didn't make the playoff every year. You think that they would also be in the Bama-Georgia conversation or to be more TCU-esque? I think it would be more TCU-esque, but I think the fan base would change their mind and say, we're Alabama-Georgia. Why not? Oh, the fan base probably would. That's true. Right? Like, that's what I'm talking Like, the coaching staff may not think that way, but I think the fan base changes their mind completely. The biggest thing is they would get to lord it over the Ducks and or over, over the, the Beavs and the Huskies. That's yeah. the most important thing. That would be the most important thing for the Duck fans because that's the one thing that they, everybody wants that ring now. Because Washington has one, you know, whether it's ninety one, yeah, Oregon State what, shared it in ninety one, yeah. but still Terry Baker they got the Heisman. Now they got you know, Terry Baker. Mario did won the Heisman as well. So yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just I just think the I think it's different with the fan base, but yeah, I think if Oregon were to win a championship, like they would change their fan base to say, okay, we need to compete every year. I think if Oregon State did it, it's a little different. Like, they may be cool with just one, but maybe not, though. Like, Jonathan Smith may be that, maybe that game-changing coach. Maybe he is the next Saban. Am I wrong about that? Is, it, is, it, is that like the big market, small market mentality that I'm thinking of right now? I think that a Beavers football national championship might be the most satisfying achievement for Beaver fans of any team in this state, even more, maybe, well, maybe not Blazers. If a Blazers think, win no. a title, that's the number one. I think you're right. I think it's Beavers. But a Beaver, if, could you imagine if Oregon State won a national championship? I in can't. Football? I can't. Like that. No, you that. talk about playing college games on on the video games. Most of my college memories that I have is playing Oregon State oh, Dynasty mode. I've had a few Oregon State championships. We were we were really damn good. Pun intended. Damn right. What, what, and the magic of winning a title with Oregon State on a PS2 gave shivers up my spine. And I'm not even a Beaver alum. Could you imagine if they actually did it? Woo. Yeah. And we, you know, we talked about the the recruiting stuff earlier. Like they don't have the four or five stars. So you're rubbing it in Oregon's face that way. Like I think you're right. Oregon State would be the most satisfying fan base championship in the state of Oregon. No doubt. Even more than the Blazers? Yeah, more than the Blazers. Because the Blazers have been close. Like, let's not get it twisted. The Blazers have been close in the 90s. Even with Dame, like, they got that to the almost Western make Conference it more finals. satisfying. Well, they and they've won one. I think, you know, I also think I would say it's also easier, even if it's not easy in basketball, it's easier in basketball than college football. College football is probably the hardest sport to win a championship. For, yeah, because the, because it's so, there's over, only like yeah. three teams yeah. that can win it every year and they can win it every year. Realistically, <laughs> it's Alabama, that Ohio over. State, Georgia. Like after that, and there was a Clemson stretch. I still think Clemson's in that conversation okay. now that they have Lincoln Kennedy's Lincoln Kennedy, Lincoln Riley's little brother. And then you go with, you know, LSU. They Who is had, Lincoln they, Kennedy? They, they, Lincoln Kennedy, he was the offensive tackle for the Raiders back in the day. Isn't he a Pac-12 network analyst? He might be now, yeah. That's I, know, I, I know he was media stuff. 
But yeah, no, he was. Uh, I want to say gi- giant offensive tackle for the Raiders back You're in the right. day, Oakland. Yeah. John Gruden. I'm talking about John Gruden again. All right, well, uh, two take straight me. days. Oh, College Football Hall of Famer, like it. Here we go. Uh, 503-417-7575. You want to jump in and uh, let us know how you would feel as a fan of a champion. Sam in Portland is on hold. Sam, what's going on, man? Well, I'm I'm a Beavers fan, so that would be the greatest thing in the history of the world, but it would be even better if we beat. Uh, we won the national championship before the Ducks. That would be great. Uh, I'm also a Steelers fan, so I and I'm old enough to remember every championship that they've won and watch, uh, I think, five of them. So it's always about the next one. Even as a Steeler fan where you have six championships, it's the, the run-up and then winning the championship is the greatest feeling as a fan. But it's always about the next one. I remember between the fourth championship and the fifth one, it was like 26 years in between. And as a fan, I never thought that we would get the fifth championship, and then we did. Actually, we lost to the Cowboys before that, but we get the fifth one, and then it's the next one. And now it's, you know, we got to get number seven because Brady has seven. And it's it's always about the next one. No matter how, how many you have, I think it's always, can we get another one, and when are we going to get another one? And, but it's easy because the Steelers are the greatest team in the history of the galaxy, so it's easy being a fan. They really, they really are. Yeah, that's the. Th- thanks for the call, Sam. That is a great point. The Steelers are probably the best run organization in all of sports. So yeah, I mean, but it is interesting to hear that because it's like, you know, he said they went 26 years without winning a championship, but it was always about the next one. Like they always had another mind. Like yeah, we're going to get another one. Like how do we do it though? Like, as a Blazer yeah. fan, I, I don't know if they're going to win a championship because I've never felt that way. I've never felt the championship win. I know at some point they're going to be good again, but I don't I don't really have the expectations of winning a championship. Like, Sam has the expectations to win a championship at some point soon. Like, that that's their, that's their expectations every year. Watching the Walton documentary was pretty eye-opening for me because it took you through the 77 title and winning it and just how so good that team was to start 78 before it all just came tumbling down for yeah. for Walton. But it took you through each playoff series in 77. You know, Walton going up against Artis Gilmore. Like, that was a big matchup against Chicago. And by the way, Chicago was in Portland's conference back then, which I didn't even really know. The Artis Gilmore-Bill Walton stuff was fascinating to watch. The Bill Walton-Kareem rivalry, fascinating to watch. And then Bill gets the better of them. And, like, they beat the Lakers with the Kareem Lakers in the conference finals. And then they, you know, they win it all, you know, beating Philadelphia, despite Philadelphia going up 2-0 in that series. Yeah. And Philly had all the all the guys. They had World Be Free. They had freaking Dr. J. You know, but we beat those guys four games in a row. Like, that's incredible, you know, stuff. And yet, I, w- I still think Blazer fans that lived and went and saw that, first thing you think about with those teams back then is like, could have been more if Walton yeah. didn't get hurt. It's like that's the first thing. And if the team doctors and Walton weren't at odds, and if medicine had been better, and if Walton wasn't involved in some of the off-court stuff that he was involved with, and, like, there's always what-ifs, even after they won that one title. And for me as a Seahawks fan, it's the same thing. Finally win it, but there's what-ifs because you came one yard short of winning another one. Well, and there, there's even what-ifs in with Golden State, with Kevin Durant. Like, if he would have stayed, like, how many would they have won? Have Steph not gotten hurt? Had Clay not gotten hurt? Would they have, you know, gone through the little rebuild they did with James Wiseman? Had they but won see, more? Even them, to me, that's I think that's where the conversation gets a little different. What about the Patriots? The, the Kevin Durant one. That's a that to me, it is it is a little less of a title. 
in terms of its satisfaction. If you're talking about satisfying titles, it's watered down when you just super team it up with KD. I'll tell you what, I'd love it's it. It's more satisfying when, well, I, I will grant you that, but it's more satisfying when it's organically built and minimal amount of, of seasoning. Definitely. When the seasoning's the main thing after you've already won a couple, to me that, that lessens it a little bit, but I will add to that. That's why beating Boston two years ago means so damn much to Golden State. Yeah. That might be their most satisfying title out of all of them. The Capra. That's, that's like, it's the Capra kind of. Exactly, because it's the next era title. Yeah. It's the next wave of it. We were able to re-identify, you know, create a, re, a new structure of ourselves. We won big. We fell low. We came back and won again. That, that's the dream of any fan base, is to be able to go get to the top Go through the undulations of building it back up and then win it again. That second, if the Seahawks win again, man, that will mean the world to me because they went through the waves of of the depth. You don't get especially lower. If they do it while Russell Wilson still plays in Denver. That would be awesome. Yeah, because they went through that trade, they went through the divorce, and they came out on top, on the topest, you know, the highest of uh, mountaintops. While that guy. You know, I, I'm kind of actually sneaky high on Denver this year. Oh, me too. But that, divi- <laughs> that division's too tough. The division's too tough. Tough division. Let's ride. But I will say, man, Oregon State, if they were to win a national championship in football, that would be, for Beaver fans, that would be the most satisfying thing, I think, in the state. I, I don't think it's close. That would be that'd be insane. I mean, because think about the teams they would have to beat to do it. Yeah, you know be how like hyped a, we were when they were getting Florida, and Florida had like half their guys? When they beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl with and Chad when, Johnson, that Notre yeah. Dame team sucked. They were, yeah, that Notre Dame team was very And we were so psyched because they just crushed them. Just killed them. Like, can you imagine the same, you know, hype if they played I Alabama and I, beat them? If I they played Clemson I and beat them? I literally cannot imagine it. It would be so awesome. All right, we'll take a break here when we come back. Uh, we've been talking about Damian Lillard from the Portland side. I want to I hear from the Miami side. I got some Miami audio from those guys and what they think about Damian Lillard and Woj and all that. We'll play that coming up next on the Ball Face Truth. Paul Face Truth, Steve Vaughn, Judy Newby filling in for John Canzano. John is out today. We've been talking about the Damian Lillard trade requests as he wants to go to Miami. Aaron Goodwin, his agent, reiterates to Aaron Fentress earlier today on Twitter that they want to go to Miami. They're going to have a meeting to try to get their way to Miami. So when I think of Miami radio, I'm always thinking of Dan Levitard. I'm a big Dan Levitard guy. I think he's funny. Um, you know. Does their show have the best sports insight? Maybe not, but I think it's a very entertaining show. But they, you know, they're friends with Amin El Hassan, who was a former front office guy with the Suns, longtime uh, NBA guy. He had some interesting things to say about Woj and how his reporting has worked with Dame and the Blazers, or against Dame and with the Blazers. So this was their conversation on the Dan Levitar show, talking about the whole Damian Lillard situation and how they view it from the Miami side. Dame's agent, Aaron Goodwin, has been calling prospective trade partners and warning against trading for him, team executive told ESPN. Goodwin is telling organizations outside of Miami that trading for Lillard is trading for an unhappy player. And it's funny because that's what we said all along. We knew. And I say it again. Adrian knew. He he knows what the deal is. But what he is engaging in is protecting one of his closest sources by giving them cover by saying, well, there's no way he's going to go to Miami. And coming up with ridiculous, ridiculous premises like, San Antonio could be a dark horse. It's all poppycock, right? But, okay, a journalist doing an agent's work for him on behalf of a television not network an ag- that not is an agent, a, not a franchise. Doing a franchise's well, but, but work. And, but you're talking about Aaron Goodwin, too, no, here. No, no, no. Like the, the, that, He's not doing Aaron Goodwin's work there. 
The, oh, no, no, he's actually working against, against because Aaron he's Goodwin. he's kind of lashing out at Aaron Goodwin. Yes, because he wants to will this into existence. Yes, this is something that Woj said yesterday on, on ESPN. "Quote: There could be a point where Portland looks around and says Miami is the best offer we have. Portland's canvassing the market, seeing if they can come up with a package better than Miami's best package. That doesn't mean Miami has offered their best package yet. This takes time. No, what that means is Miami has the best offer right now." And please give us a little bit more, Miami. That's what that's what that, that also. That's means. what that means. So they're saying Woj is totally in the uh, Trailblazers' pocket right now, trying to make the Blazers and Joe Cronin look good. And while I don't disagree with what they're saying, because Woj obviously has a source within the Blazers, whether it's Joe Cronin, whether it's somebody up there, he's trying to make his his source look good, right? And he wants the Blazers to look good in the situation, saying that the Blazers need to get as much as they can, and the Miami's trade package is not very good. But at the same time, like, the Miami guys are right. Like, they maybe have, this might be the only package out there, and they're just doing it for a reason. There's a reason why Woj is making these articles. There's a reason why all this stuff happens in the NBA. Like, stuff doesn't get out for no reason at all, Judah. Like, if somebody wants something out, they will leak it to a reporter, you know, leak it out to an outlet. And the Blazers have been doing it. The Heat have been doing it. Dame has been doing it. And I think it all kind of adds up. Like, you look at it, Woj is on the Blazers' side. Someone's got to, you know, support the Heat now. Yeah, these guys are got Miami-colored glasses, though. Woj literally has in his piece, this might be the best offer the Blazers get. He literally said that in his piece. It's not a Blazer homer but he's piece. also But he's also saying that they need more. It, the overall tone is they need more, but I would not just pawn that off as Blazer, you know, like, you don't think that, I mean, we agree with Woj. I agree with Woj, yeah. They do need more. But I think you, you don't think the market's out there for Dame? I mean, Mark I, Spears even said, Mark Spears went on the record and said that he has heard at least five teams are interested in a multi-team deal. That's not Woj. It's That's Mark Spears. So those guys... They're just going to conveniently forget that part? I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, It'll be interesting as this plays out because this is early on, right? This is the first quarter. I think we're all figuring out what Dame's value is. I think there's a lot of value. I think they should get a lot for it. But at the same time, if this is the only trade out there, at some point they're going to have to pull the trigger. All right, that's going to wrap it up here for the Ball of Face Truth. I'm Steve Vaughn. Thanks to Judah Newby. Thanks to John Cazano. Thanks to everyone out there. Listen to the Ball of Face Truth on the Ball of Face Truth Radio Network.